golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. And today we are talking about the king. The king, yes. Hail to the king, baby. Um, not that one, a different one. Uh, Stephen King, of course. Uh, not, not Bruce Campbell in this case, though. That'd be fun. That would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would totally be fun. That just kind of gave um, me an idea. <laughs> it totally did, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, we're talking about a couple of Stephen King adaptations. What's funny is, I don't know if in either case we think these are necessarily his the best adaptations or the best movies that have been made from his work, but they're ones that have settled in among our favorites of, of adaptations of his work, I think. I don't know I if know mine's that's true my mine. favorite favorite, but it is pretty high up there. Yeah. It's hard to pick one. There's like some it's good really, ones. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's like, what is the best adaptation of Stephen King, you know? I think Dr. Sleep's probably pretty high up there for what it did. Um, I think, you know, another Flanagan, of course, one of your favorites, Gerald's Game, is is way up there. Misery is up there for me. Carrie. Misery. Yeah, both of those for me as well. And I know people like to shit on it, but... The Shawshank Redemption is a pretty damn good movie. Yeah. Uh, I think the worst thing that ever happened to that movie is it ended up number one on IMDb, (laughs) you know, because if it if it wasn't, I think people would say, wow, that movie's really good. Another I I really like, you know, a little bit. The Mist is great. Another sort of deeper cut, Dolores Claiborne, I think is a really terrific movie. I just rewatched that because I bought the the new Blu-ray and it's yeah, that's a lot better than I, I always thought it was good, but very good. So, but today uh, we've grabbed a couple off the shelf. The one that I picked is re- actually really a childhood favorite of mine. It wasn't the first King adaptation I saw. The reason I know this because the very first one I saw was Firestarter, which is not great. Um, <gasps> I kind of like it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's got its moments. It's not terrible, but it's not, I don't think it's one of the top tier adaptations personally, but... You know, when we're recording this, the new I know, Firestarter we're recording this, is out. New, it just came out this weekend. Yep. But Christine, John Carpenter's Christine, was one of the first ones that I, that I saw and kind of loved it right away. I think it was one that I actually... Uh, there are only a handful of movies that I watched with, that I remember watching with my dad. And this is one of them because he's really into cars. Mm-hmm. So he, he thought this movie was super cool. So, yeah. We're actually doing that one second. Second. The first one we're doing is mine, which is, um, I, yeah, I don't remember the first one I ever 
saw it was like a first adaptation of his. I mean, it was probably The Shawshank Redemption or Stand By Me or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, But this is one that's kind of been with me like for a long time. I've always, always loved this one and got much deeper appreciation for it now. Um, Pet Cemetery from 1989. Yeah, this is one that, you know, one of the first notes I wrote down for this movie was... The last time I saw this, I did not have kids or cats. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that makes so a big it just difference. Hits, <laughs> yes. It just hits a lot different now uh, than yeah. it did back then. I actually have seen the remake more recently, until yesterday, of course, uh, than this version. Not a huge fan of the remake. I, I think it's a well-made movie, but it makes some decisions that I, I don't understand why they changed certain things just to change them, it felt like. Yeah. Not because it served any real purpose. A little bit too much anyway. with the the jump scares. You know, it kind of looked like every other new horror movie out. I didn't... Yeah, nothing really totally grabbed me about that one. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a terrible film. No. I, it just doesn't... It just doesn't do much for me, personally. But, you know, I mean, solid performances, you know, sure. well made, all that. But it just, uh, for whatever reason, just kind of like... Okay. I know. <laughs> it, it, was <laughs> it was just a movie one of those. I, saw. I wanted to like it a lot more. It was really cool. Yeah. Like some of the stuff that it did a little bit different, but it just didn't didn't end up doing anything for me. Definitely not as yeah. much as this one does. Yeah. So I've been reading Stephen King for a long time, and this was the first Stephen King book that I ever tried to read, <laughs> I'll say, was Pet Cemetery when I was, I think I was about 12 years old. And mm-hmm. I only got about maybe 100, 200 pages into this book. And I I couldn't do it. <laughs> Not at that age, you know? Yeah. That was way too dense. But um, actually, the first King book I ever read completely a few years later actually was Needful Things, which is kind of a weird one to start off with because it's like one of sure. his 1,000 page tombs. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I came to King, I was... Uh, in fifth grade and back when i in fifth grade our teacher would have us say you know what book we were reading at that time you know and mm-hmm. one of the kids said he had read pet cemetery and i thought huh you know i had heard of it i i didn't know anything about it so i went to the bookstore and i started looking for thinking about you know books i'd like to read you know stories that i'd heard about you know um, because I wasn't much of a reader when I was younger. I still am a pretty slow reader, to be honest. I've always struggled with that. But King was the first... Uh, all of a sudden, I, I was like, okay, I'd be interested in reading Carrie. Um, all these horror movies that I saw on the shelf. Sure. You know, over at, at the video store. And Christine and The Shining and, you know, all these different things. And I looked on the shelf, they were all by the same person. <laughs> All these books that I wanted to read were all by the same person. And I was like, who is this? And so I read the thinnest one first and worked my way up. So I started with Carrie. Kind of weird for, you know, a 10-year-old boy, (laughs) you know, to to read Carrie. Uh, uh, But, you know, and then I read The Shining second and The Dead Zone. And after that, I don't even remember, but... It was just kind of one after the other, and I didn't read anything uh-huh. else for years and years and years, except if I had to, you know, <laughs> if, for like a school assignment. But all I read was Stephen King for a very long time. Oh, this yeah, is the only all, one that, all yeah, through high school, only one that was interesting to me. Yeah, it was yeah. all about Stephen King. Actually, for me, it was the first like 
adult author I ever read. I was a huge reader uh, when I was a kid. And like the first adult author I ever got into was John Grisham, actually. So yeah. I was reading My like... My mom got into John Grisham. I was reading like all of John Grisham's books. And then once I got into Stephen King, then it was all about Stephen King. Yeah, Needful Things was the first one. And um, I'm actually kind of glad that was a recommendation from somebody who was already like a big Stephen King fan and had read most of his books. And he suggested that one. I was like, really? This one? This book is freaking huge. You want me to start with this one? (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It's a good, it's a fun story, which it is. It's still kind of, I think it's still one of my favorites of his books because I think it's a lot of fun. And then he also was saying that it's, it would be good to start off with because it, it does that thing that he does whenever there's a huge cast of characters when you know when it goes like switches characters for each chapter like that'll kind of get you used to that you know when you get into some of his yeah. other books like that like if you get sure, to the stand, the stand or whatever, or whatever you're right yeah. but pet cemetery was just one that we had in the house and it was always kind of like that book because i had tried to read it and i couldn't do it i was like i'm gonna get to that one eventually i'm gonna be able to do it i'm gonna be able to understand it and i remember i did read it i think eventually uh, in high school sometimes I can't really remember how old I was but I still didn't really get it I would say until several years ago like until a reason like like you were saying um like uh, when I not I don't have kids of my own but um I have nephews when I reread the book my nephews were the same age as the kids in the book you know when I reread it for the first time in forever and I was like Oh, okay. I I get this. I get this story now, <laughs> you know, and I, that helped yeah. me get the movie a lot more too. Because on the back of that copy, it always said the most you know, terrifying book that Stephen King has ever written, and I always thought that was kind of like a weird statement. I was like, Pet Cemetery is the most terrifying. I, I don't think so, but I think thinking about it in in those terms and thinking about it like how personal it is to Stephen King, and yeah, mm-hmm. it, it it truly is. I think one of the most terrifying stories he's ever written. Yeah, it's one of those things because when I was younger, I thought that I, the, the first hardcover Stephen King book I bought was The Dark Half. And that one is like really violent. <laughs> it's 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 gory and That's uh, true. it's crazy, you know. And so I was like, I was into that. You know, <laughs> and so I thought that was really scary. You know, I thought of that. I thought that's scary. And then. You know, the dead zone, it was like I had seen the movie, so I could I could sort of relate to it, I guess, from that sense. I kind of knew what I was in for. But I think if I had read that cold, I probably would have gone, you mean he can just see the future? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I love the amazing. dead zone. The dead zone is fantastic. It's actually one of, I think, his best books. Oh, me too. Um, That's in my top five, definitely. Johnny Smith, one of the best characters he's ever written. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I think so, too. And Christopher Walken, one of the best to play one of his characters on screen, I think. But The Shining is, for some reason, the one I always come back to. Uh, I've read it four times now. I'm reading it to my son now, it's, so it's my <laughs> fifth time through the book. And it just seems like a different book every time I read it. So I'll, I'll be interested if he likes that one of maybe trying some of the others and it kind of gives me a chance to reread them, yeah. uh, w- which is kind of cool. I mean, when you read a book aloud, there's just nothing like it. It's so different. Sure. And, you know, it's a kind of an unusual King book because it has such a small cast, whereas so many of his best known works are these massive cast kinds of books. Uh, but this is another sort of small cast story mm-hmm. uh, with Pet Cemetery. Because um, you really have, I mean, you've got the Creed family, so the four of them. 
You have Judd. I mean, those are your That's main pretty much characters, yeah. but then you've you've got a couple of. I mean, you've got Missy, and Missy. you've got Zelda, and you've got uh, Rachel's parents. Yeah, the parents, and also the ghost, whose name is Victor Pascal. Thank you. And church. There you go. Don't forget and church. church. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a pretty small cast for for a Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. The characters are so beautifully drawn. And I think the way that they're put into the movie is uh, this is one of the most direct adaptations of King. Yeah, King was really too. involved in this one. Yeah, more so than he was in or is in most of any of them. Yeah, that's why I think that's part of why I like it so much is that it, it is so close to him. And then like the making of the movie was also like feels like it's so close to him because they actually shot in Maine, mm-hmm. you know. He was very involved. He wrote the screenplay. He's got a little part in it, which I always love seeing. I was like, hey. I didn't realize he had written the screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. And just in terms of like where the story came from, like so much of it is from King's own life. Right. Which is very cool and like very terrifying at the same time like that's that's when i kind of get like oh okay like that he had all these these fears because he really did live in a place where they you know there was a path they found out that went to a pet cemetery they lived on a road where there were all these trucks driving by he mm-hmm. his son had almost small children at the time yeah he had yeah. small children his son was almost run over by the was truck it one o- time was it owen i was think was it Owen, yeah, because um, I am. I think Joe was starting to get a little older by this time. Uh, maybe a little older than Ellie's age mm-hmm. in the in the story. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I love that he brought in some of those autobiographical elements into this, and I think his best stories do uh, sometimes without him knowing it. Uh, like The Shining yeah. um, is very much that kind of thing. There's even a line in Christine when we get to that that I think is directly related related to The Shining uh, <laughs> uh, that Arnie says. We'll, we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But well, um, you've got we're me talking about Pets- to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. All right. Because um, that doesn't get brought into this movie. Um, so anyway, just a word of warning: I am probably going to imitate Fred Gwynn. <laughs> Uh, I knew you would. It's Judd Crandall. <laughs> Literally from the when I was re- rewatching this and the first scene with Judd, I was like, Brian is totally going to imitate Fred Gwynn when we record this, isn't he? And I welcome it because I love anybody imitating Fred Gwynn in this movie because he has the best accent. He does, He and um, the actress who plays Missy Dandridge, they do the best main accents. I mean, I don't know for sure they if they're the best because we're not from there. But to me, they sound like pretty on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. So please imitate him as much as you want. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way he says "round" is is my favorite thing. It's like got to watch out for that round. I love it. It's that damn round. (laughs) Uses up a lot of animals. Well, what's funny is with uh, Fred Gwynn. I knew him best uh, from reruns of the Munsters Mm -hmm. from when I was a kid, and uh, he played. You know, Herman Munster, you know, the Frankenstein character, which was one of those things of obviously Frankenstein's always been kind of an important thing to me. And it was like, oh, my gosh, there's a TV show that starred Frankenstein. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I was enthralled by that idea. Fred Gwynn is, was just so funny. And then yeah. uh, later uh, he did uh, Car 54, Where Are You as well? Also with Al Lewis, who played Grandpa. Um, I don't know if it was before or after. You know, my cousin Vinny as the judge. uh 
I I just too hood. I love him. He's yeah. The, the two. The, did you say Utes? Did you say Utes? Yeah. <laughs> he kind of had that resurgence, you know, in the few years yeah. before he died, you know, and it was wonderful to see. Loved it. He just you know this big, tall, burly kind, but teddy bear kind of presence, oh, totally. you know, and I I just loved that about him. Every time I think of this movie, I mean, the first thing I think of probably is him, you know, and maybe the cat. Um, <laughs> he's perfect for Judd, though. Just that um, neighbor that he's like an older guy who's on his own and just wants to, like, get to know this family. But he's also just just cool guy that you just want to hang out with and listen to him tell stories, mm-hmm. not the stories yeah. that he tells in this because he's wrong he's actually not a good character actually <laughs> when you get down to it Judd kind of sucks Judd is awesome but he also kind of sucks is the problem <laughs> I, I think I think I think in the time that they have though <laughs> it's because this is a really streamlined movie mm-hmm. I, I was like there's not an ounce on it this movie flies. that is not necessary to the story in the film or the character in some way whereas i think if it was a different kind of movie you might have him you know telling stories that aren't about death <laughs> right <laughs> you know, or about uh, you might have you know being being the neighborly guy right who, you know and developing that french cuz he he obviously develops a, a strong friendship with the creed family you know he's on picnics with them and all that sort of stuff you know he's brought into the family essentially mm-hmm. he's almost the grandfather by the by the midpoint of the movie you know uh and i think there's a lot happening off screen you know that that uh, we don't see because this story is just it is paced to the (laughs) i I don't know how to to, it's it's like there's just no nothing on that bone it is it is as sleek of a movie as you can get because there's just nothing that is unnecessary i always find that when i rewatch it it just flies by for me Mm mm-hmm so aside from Fred Gwynn, uh, somebody else that we talked about recently is back. He's a little younger, way cuter. Little Miko Hughes. Well, I don't know about way. <laughs> well, he, he's the, little, bl- the little blonde hair. Oh, God, he's adorable. Uh, he's he's adorable. And when I look at him, I was like, I, could, I believe he's the, he's the child of these two people. Yeah. You know. Those two people being uh, Dale Midkiff and Denise Crosby. Love them. Yes. Absolutely love them. Now, Denise Crosby, for me, my introduction also television was Star Trek, Star Trek. The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she famously um, requested to have her character killed off in the first season. And oh. then, yeah, because she didn't think the show was going anywhere and she wanted to pursue other things. And her character, she didn't think her character was interesting. And so they killed her off. Then the show kind of took off, (laughs) you know, it was, it was, uh, it was one of those things where that show really, by the third season, it really hit its stride (laughs) and she actually came back, uh, for some guest appearances that were really interesting, um, and in some of the best episodes. So that was kind of cool that that relationship continued. Um, but yeah, she, uh, she's great in this. It's unfortunate that. You know, the next thing I remember seeing her in was a toothpaste commercial. Um, it's but... kind of the same with Dale Midkiff, too. Like, I think he's yeah. great in this. I love him as an actor. And yeah. the only thing I have can think of that I've seen him in is a, a Lifetime movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, Denise Crosby, now I think she she was the narrator host of this documentary called Trekkies, mm-hmm. which is about uh, Star Trek phenomenon. But that's 
But outside of uh, those couple things, I just haven't seen her in much of anything. So what I kind of love about the beginning of this movie, I mean, especially if you've seen it before, which I have many, many times, and you know what's coming, I can see a little bit easier now, like how um, Mary Lambert, director, awesome Mm -hmm. job with this. Um, I I can just see how she sets up um, that happy little family thing so well at the beginning because um, knowing like, um, sorry for spoiler alerts, I guess. Does it matter for Pet Cemetery? I'm no, sure. Yeah, thank you. Know what's going I mean, on here. We, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we spoil on this show. I'm just know, kidding. So. I'm just saying, because knowing what happens to Gage, th- she does, there's so many like little inserts, um, shots of him just being cute, mm-hmm. basically. And there's yeah. a lot of scenes, um, just little moments uh, with, him and Denise and Dale, where you can just kind of tell that they probably spent a lot of time with him, you know, on the set, like getting comfortable, you know, like so they could have that little bond. And so you can totally see mm-hmm. on the screen, like when um, he and Denise are going like, bye bye, bye bye. Or even there's like yeah. a little scene like before Rachel and Ellie are, are leaving for Thanksgiving and Lewis is just like playing with him, you know, like a dad does like and he's just laughing. It's like, you know, like they probably spent a lot of time with him so they could have that bond so they could it could really show on screen. which i mean just makes it that much more heartbreaking at the end and it's like you can just see all those little moments where it's like oh you're just making this you're making us fall in love with this kid he's so freaking cute just to break our hearts later (laughs) but it's it's so good like the he's miko is just an amazing little kid in movies yeah (laughs) and you know it's so rare that you have a kid cast for for that young who Mm -hmm. actually is that young you know Uh, for him to actually be you know three years old toddling around like this and to be giving a convincing performance it's pretty impressive i mean it's and it's a rarity that that works that you that you see it because it's i mean usually they'll cast a a couple years older because it's just easier to or twins (laughs) or something like that to work with Yeah. yeah 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 that's that's another good point yeah yeah he's just kind of endearing in this film um and you know you get that family bond so strong and i think also you know the cat is you know pretty adorable in the beginning too you know he's just kind of a sweetie you know he's sleeping in the bed with ellie under the covers yeah she pulls the covers on both of them (laughs) i thought that was cute yeah There, there's lots of great stuff. And, you know, that cat actually looks a lot like a cat that we had a few years ago, mm-hmm. except our ours always kind of had the little kitten look. It, it never seemed to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, sick when she was a baby, so so she never really grew up, right? And then she when she got sick, we had to put her down. I mean, so some of those kinds of things, seeing that, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Logre, our kitty from years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. it was just kind of like, oh man, this is getting to me. And then my my own cats were laying on the couch next to me while I was watching this, and we're looking out over there, going, oh, man. So, <laughs> oh, I know. Anyway. We always had cats when I was growing up. I I love. I'm a cat person, totally. Mm-hmm. And so we we always had cats, but it wasn't until um, 
I was in, in high school, I think, that we, my sister's cat had, had kittens and I, I got one for myself. And it was like the first animal that was mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like my cat, um, Lucifer. Uh, his little gray and black right. tabby. He was the best cat ever. And it, like he knew that he was mine. You know, like we were definitely like best buds. And I had him for a good, I think it was 12, 13 years until yeah. just that one of those things that happens with pets you don't know. Like he had a stroke or something and I had to put him down. Yeah. And that always, yeah, that's always hard. I mean, and the bond with the animals is so, it's, it's always so weird to me, but it's so special. It really is. Like that's mm-hmm. the hardest I've ever taken any death in my life. I like as horrible as yeah. that sounds sometimes, you know, like that it's not a person, but it's a pet, but it's like that that bond is so so different and i see that bond more often in movies with dogs yeah but you can totally have it with a cat too and i hate that there's like that this thing where like people hate cats and it's like that's exactly what i was gonna say that's what i was gonna say too um because you know i think dogs are you know sort of easier to portray that with right on films you know i totally um, had so that this film does it with a cat is yeah. just like oh but then also you know after the cat dies and is brought back and and he's such an asshole right. it's like <laughs> that's the you cats. can kind of believe that you can kind of believe that too you know <laughs> That's what people think cats are like all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, like I totally but, had a relationship with Lucifer, kind of like a dog in a way. Like we had a, mm-hmm. we had like a nightly routine. Like he knew when it was time to go to bed. He knew when I was going to bed because mm-hmm. he would follow me. Yeah. I hate that people have this like aversion to cats. I don't understand it because I, I think they're amazing. I like that you have to like right. earn their love. You do. <laughs> I, lo- I kind of like that about the, the, their independence. <laughs> I, I do kind of like that, you know, you can just leave them alone most of the time. Yes. <laughs> too. That's that's kind of a thing. Okay, you want to hang? That's cool. A, cool. Cool. <laughs> I always kind of liked cats, but my my parents just didn't want one. You know, because furniture and all that other kind of stuff, you know. But my wife loves cats, even though she's allergic to them. Um, so, and you have two cats? Uh, we have we have two cats, <laughs> and and she she's like she she loves them, and they love her. So uh, she's she's really really good with cats. So we had a dog uh, briefly, but my wife did not couldn't do it and so that dog is now with living with my parents they're too um, much for me that's why i like yeah yeah because <laughs> you can leave them alone like dogs just like they're, always yeah. want to be up in your face <laughs> yeah i'm like dog i don't like be that. a lot of work yeah so anyway what i think is really interesting thematically about this movie is right off the start you know the first because it's pretty quick how it heads off into judd taking them down to the pet cemetery Mm -hmm. and i find myself agreeing with judd here where he says you know they've got to learn about death somehow don't they mrs creed and she's like why i mean we find out why later but i do think it's important i do think it's important you know for children to i think that's why scary stories or stories that deal with death are important i mean know your kids limits obviously you know to quote wes craven again i guess you know fear is released through these kinds of stories and films and rather than created i think that's true so i find i find myself agreeing with judd's sort of view of that cemetery the pet cemetery as being kind of a kind of a sacred place you know this is a place where the dead speak 
And I like the opening credits, you know, showing some of the inscriptions that these kids have written. The voiceover. Yeah, that they've written on, on the... Um, on the gravestones for these pets. Um, I, I wish I'd written some of them down. The only one funny. I ever remember is Biffer Biffer is a hell of a sniffer. A sniffer. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. While he was alive, he made us richer. He made us richer. Or that's something right. like that. Yeah, something yeah, like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought that one was pretty good. Um, and, you know, that is... That's the element of death, I think, that helps us to accept it and realize, you know, mm-hmm. this is part of our existence as humans or not just humans, you know, as as all these creatures, everything dies, right? And I thought there are some interest. there's a lot of discussion about that in this movie. That's because that is what yep. it's really about. I mean, can you accept that death is something we have to deal with yeah. or do you refuse to deal with it? I don't know if it's an accepting death, it's saying or, or embracing death, but it's, it's not... It's not Let ignoring it, it, basically. It's it's not ignoring it, but it's not exactly embracing it, but it's accepting that it's part of what we have to yeah. deal with, right? So I find that scene to be kind of beautiful. <laughs> yeah. What, what uh, I always remember, because what Rachel says is that she sees it as a as a horrible place, the pet cemetery right. for uh, brokenhearted children, this place. But right. what I remember from the book was um, uh, this, uh, this could be totally wrong, but this is how I always remembered it. But I remember Judd or somebody talking about how the kids in the, the town would really take care of this place and keep it looking nice, you know, like an actual cemetery. So it was like, it was a place for them to go. Yeah. To like Judd says, like have a, have respect for the dead and and let them let them speak and and still take care of them afterwards and yeah it wasn't it didn't seem like a, a sad place to the kids either even though that was their pets yeah. you know it was a place yeah. where they could go and actually deal with it yeah and he, and he says that it the kids started it before the road was even there so yeah. it wasn't just animals that had been hit by trucks <laughs> mm-hmm. along the road here uh, it was earlier than that then you know the goldfish <laughs> the, the little grave for the goldfish is yeah. kind of cute and stuff um i mean we've my son has hamsters and we've lost two of them technically three but that was like after a day so <laughs> so we we've actually had two that were real pets of his that died and we have them buried out in the backyard yeah. um but it's just it's just it's it's a way to I guess discuss and teach. Because how do kids usually learn about death it's, at first? Yeah, a pet. A pet. Yeah, you know because someday a grandparents, parents, or a friend or someone is going to is going to be gone, and that's going to be and that's a tough thing, you know. And obviously that's something mm-hmm. that you know I think it was this week or last week that there was the report came out that officially the United States crossed the 1 million mark in COVID deaths. I mean, so it's, it's just a, it's a very real thing. You know, it's a lot of people have experienced that in a very real way, you know, anyway, I think, I think this movie delves into those profundities of our existence mm-hmm. in a in a really effective way. And I like that there's uh, different ways that he goes about, King goes about like trying to navigate, you know, this conversation about death, which has like, yeah. got a lot of different sides to it. Like first with the, the pet and then with Missy Dandridge yeah. and showing kind of um, showing the difference between, between Ellie and Rachel 
in that scene I really like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, because Ellie comes to Lewis and they have a whole talk about heaven and like what happens after you die. And she seems really cool with it you know like ellie seems like okay i understand and i like that and that's comforting to me and that just kind of shows the difference between someone who has some guidance you know someone who's not afraid to talk about those things with her you know when you're that young and trying to understand those things and what rachel had which was not that at all she had nothing she had no guidance doesn't want to talk about it and she doesn't want to talk about it and she doesn't want her kids to know about it and she doesn't want to talk about it with them and you again you understand why when you hear the the story about zelda and i I like that there's that contention between the two of them too like there's a there's a there's a happy family element too but they're also not perfect you know they have differing views on things and you know maybe they're both right in a little bit of ways maybe she's right too that like maybe they don't she doesn't need to know everything right about death she doesn't need to (laughs) (laughs) well i get that well did you notice the the line there that lewis says which one when ellie asks what do you believe and he says i think we go on I think we go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think Stephen King thinks we go on <laughs> because he's said that <laughs> multiple times in, in his work now, hasn't he? Um, between this and The Shining and uh, Dr. Sleep and that. So I think I think that that's I find that interesting. I, I find that yeah. to be an, an interesting element that has cropped up a couple of times just in our discussions of King's work, which hasn't been a lot. But, you know, we've done a couple now. That's true. Yeah. I actually didn't catch that yet. So anyway, this is one of those things <laughs> that I just find this funny. There's okay. a there's a sound effect of a crow uh, when they show uh, the hospital from there's like this overhead shot of the hospital, and then there's the sound effect of a crow. And I am positive it is the same sound effect that's used every time they show the power plant on The Simpsons. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so okay. so it's it's, it's like. <laughs> So listen for that <laughs> next that. time. Next time, if you're a Simpsons fan, next time you watch Pet Cemetery, <laughs> keep a keep an ear out for that crow sound effect because I am sure it's the same one. Anyway, it's sort okay. of like the Wilhelm scream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sound effects, one thing that I think is really cool about this movie too that I didn't really notice until like one of the last few times I watched it is that even before like anything happens, you know, there's a couple of um, scenes where they they comment on how dangerous the road is, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that one mm-hmm. time when Lewis goes and has has a beer with Judd and another truck like goes zooming by, he's like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like you can still hear the trucks going by really faintly in the background mm-hmm. in a couple of scenes, too. Yes. It's like it's always just kind of like this um, bad omen that's like surrounding them the whole time before it happens. I think there's one time when um, Rachel goes to check on Ellie in bed. And you can hear a truck passing, you know? Right. Yeah. And church is there. It's just this constant reminder that it's always there. That that it's always there. Death death is always going on in the background. (laughs) And even the scene even the scene when um after Gage's death and it's just Lewis sitting there looking at the pictures of him, you can Mm -hmm. hear him again you can hear it again go by. You can hear a truck go by. I was like, that's that's just really, uh, that's a really cool, like, just subtle thing that you can do. You might not even really notice it, that it's always there in the background, that death is always surrounding you. You know, it's interesting because in uh, Stand By Me, this just came to my mind. I mean, one of the things that when Gordy uh, goes into the store to get supplies for the group, 
the shopkeeper starts talking about his brother who who died and says, you know, in the midst of life, we are in death. The Bible says that. Did you know that? And it's, it's like, no, sir. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, that I think this book and movie indicate as well is, you know, death is sort of a, a constant of life. You know, it, it's it's there whether we actively notice it or not. And that's that's uh, that's deep and that's tough and that's things that's scary. That's stuff that we don't like yeah. to think about. And the movie is sort of constantly reminding us of that. And I think that's why this one has continued. I mean, honestly, the first time I heard about this movie was from my uncle. My uncle was a horror fan. Uh, I've talked about him a little bit, uh, I think on the Nightmare on Elm Street episode. But he hated this movie. Absolutely hated it. It was like, it is not scary. The only time the audience reacted at all was when the cat um, did the jump scare thing and you know it was just like he just couldn't stand this movie but i think one of the things that has made this movie effective and why it continues to be something people come back to is because it is you know this underlying dread it's not and i you know maybe i kind of agree with michael i don't find the movie scary exactly but there is but i mean i don't find very many horror movies scary anymore because i've seen a lot of them you know yeah you know, I mean, that's just part of of being a horror fan is is yeah. you kind of you kind of get used to them. You know, uh, they don't. Yeah, and one that you've seen a ton. Like, yeah, I've seen this one so many times. Yeah. I don't know if I was ever scared by it or yeah. if it's still scary. I can't. I can't have that feeling anymore. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's not the point. It's too familiar. I mean, it's telling a story about you know that idea of in the midst of life we are in death and we are how are we going to deal with that. You know, how are you going to deal with mm-hmm. the fact that that death is could come at any moment? You know, are you going to live your life afraid of it or just it's a fact or, or, or what? You know, I mean, those those I think those are some of the profound questions that the movie uh, is trying to mm-hmm. to convey. And I think that's why it continues to endure, because I know people I mean, I like this movie a lot, but I mean, there are. So many people that love this one. I love this one. This is a big time favorite for a lot of King fans for adaptations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's, I think it remains effective for a lot of people because of that. And it's almost more effective to me. Like, yeah, the story is dealing with really dark, dense, deep stuff but the way that it's told in this very darkly humorous way, it really helps soften the blow a little bit, I would say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you watch it, like if you don't think too deeply about it, of like the ideas that they're getting into and you just kind of watch it for what it is, like it's yeah. it's, it's, it's fun to fun watch, movie. you know? Yeah, it's it fun. Yeah. It's funny too, a lot. It is. There's a lot it of is. little funny. Like, I even think the like Victor little... Pascal stuff is, a lot of the Victor Pascal stuff is really yeah. pretty funny. Even like these, these little yeah. moments are so funny when uh, <laughs> Missy talking about like uh, going to get his nuts cut. Yeah, yeah thank you, right. Missy. <laughs> I don't, there's, I don't even, want... there's just a shot of Mr. Victor Pascal um, on the airplane with Rachel. Yeah. That's just so funny. It's just kind of grooving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, I, there, I love 
<laughs> I love the line when Ellie says it. She says, I don't want Church to get his nuts cut. His nuts cut. <laughs> yeah, I think that is so funny. <laughs> I think that's maybe that's why some people, I've heard that's why some people don't really particularly care for it because it's like, it's got this weird tone to it. Like, it doesn't know if it's like sure. funny or scary or whatever. I don't know. It just, it's always really worked for me. Again, like I said, because it kind of helps soften the blow because when you really think about what the movie is about, uh, how I always kind of see it is like when you get down to the core of what it's about and what happens like it's about the complete destruction of a family too uh-huh. you know which i mean that's which a, is just something that king did more than once you know <laughs> yeah yeah and that's just that's can be hard to take again if you when you because he makes it very easy to um to get to get personal with this story too because mm-hmm. it's it's scenarios that you know totally could happen sure. to people probably have happened to a lot of people in real life like a story that i'll always remember is like of king that he told about owen is that scene where Gage gets hit and it's him running towards it and lewis kind of chasing after it and i just always remember king describing that moment like him having that moment with his own son like thing the things that he thought about was like oh man i I thought for sure that he was gonna stumble and fall you know and like because that's what little kids do when they run really fast you know eventually you know they can't run really fast forever eventually they're gonna stumble but it's not it's not gage that does it in that scene it's lewis you know yeah and it's like i can just imagine i'm sure parents have had that kind of scenario so many times where like something's gonna happen and you have to catch them or run after them or something and it's it's very easy to relate to something like that oh yeah watching this movie after you know i'm pretty far removed from little kids but now but um there are some some moments in this that really hit me very hard so yeah so here's my big question about this movie okay so after okay after church gets killed they find him dead judd of course takes them up beyond the pet cemetery to the micmac burial ground which you know i mean okay it's it's that indian burial ground trope and <laughs> it's got if you if you've watched the uh, on shutter they have the uh, the folk horror documentary the names escaping me up what it's called now uh it's woodlands woodlands dark and yeah yeah, like yeah it's, it's yeah anyway there's a whole section on it about native american folk horror and the trope of the indian burial ground is right. is is <laughs> sort of uh faced is discussed head on as being uh a little bit problematic but you know uh it, it's it's uh, I, yeah but 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 hey um but what I think is going on here is probably even a little different than that. I mean, obviously, so it's got this whole, this magical, it's, it's a burial ground that brings the dead back to life. Um, that's what it comes down to. It was, to. I think it was just a regular burial ground for the Micmacs. And then, as they say several times, one of the uh, famous lines from this movie is that the ground turned sour. Yeah. And it developed this, this power to bring the dead back to life. Yeah. And as I understand, there's actually now I, I haven't seen the quote myself, but uh, I heard from someone else that King has indicated that perhaps the resurrecting creature or presence is related in some way to the Wendigo. Um, oh yeah, the Wendigo is big in the book. Yeah, um, and I it's been too long from since I've read the book for me to remember any of that. So, um, so the Wendigo is is sort of 
it's not even mentioned in the movie. It's referenced though in, way, in, in ways, I would yeah. say. Okay. Like the loud noises that you know he hears in the woods, sure. the, that bright light mm-hmm. that comes up from behind the deadfall, and then the shot, that weird shot, like um, as he's taking uh, Gage's body up to the so burial ground. The rocks. And, yeah, the rocks and it's Judd's face. face. Yeah. I think it, I'm pretty sure it's Judd's face, and it's he's got like blood on his mouth, so it's like. Uh, it's like so when, it's like a it's like a vision of what's going to happen right you know that what gage is going to do to him you know yeah, yeah. i think those are references to the wendigo even though that, yeah they don't outright say it in the movie yeah yeah so anyway my question for you is okay i'm gonna thinking about everything that judd knows he knows about spot you know his own dog that came back and was you know, mean afterwards and everything and about Timmy and, and all that stuff. Yep. Why in the hell does Judd take him up there? I know. <laughs> I you know, that was I mean, the question. Yeah. I, and he says he gives his reasoning, but it's pretty I think he's thin. lying. I, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's just like, because he says, I just didn't want, uh, you know... Ellie wasn't ready for her Ellie favorite wasn't pet ready to for die her favorite yet. pet to die. No, he's. That's I don't bullshit. think. I, yeah, I don't believe him. There. What I think it is is that something else that the, this movie is about is about secrets. Yes. It's about secrets and stories and the soil of a man's heart is stonier. That's about soil secrets. Soil of a man's heart is stonier. <laughs> Lois. <laughs> <laughs> say Lewis. How do you say? How do you say Lewis uh, in his voice? Lois. There you go. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I love it. And I think that's that's about that. That's where his motivation comes from to tell him about it, even though he knows exactly probably what will happen yeah. <laughs> if he tells him about this, the secret. But that's the thing about secrets is that sometimes you have a secret so big that you have to tell, you know? Yeah. I think that's where it comes from. Yeah. That's what it is. That's You okay. know about something this powerful mm-hmm. and that can... You have you can't how do you keep that in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I think, that, uh, I think I that's think... basically what it comes down to to me. That's what I've when I've thought about that too. Because like I said, Judd kind of sucks because it's pretty much his fault <laughs> what happens well, in the he, movie. He blames and, himself for oh, yeah. for Gage's death. He thinks he caused yeah because it's like he woke it's like he woke up the the burial ground he woke up the soil up there yeah. and, it, and it and it went after Gage. I don't think that there was anything that was influencing him because I've I sort of thought about it too. It was like well maybe it's like something in the burial ground was like influencing him like but not when he told him about it for church. Right. I think that was what I was talking about. Like he just had this secret and he was like oh maybe he thought you know it's just a cat. I'm sure it'll be fine. It won't be like, you know, spot or like a person. It, like I said, he has this opportunity. It's like the cat's made out of different stuff than than <laughs> the human or the dog, right? Or something. Yeah, or it you wouldn't know? be as dangerous to bring the cat back. Right. Maybe or that's something what I was thinking. Like that. But because ma- yeah. it's that whole cats are assholes trope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I'm I don't kidding. know if I'm explaining it very well. Like that's how I always thought about like it's... why Judd tells it. I, I really think that that's pretty much what it is. Okay. 
Yeah. I, is that to have you, how do you have that kind of knowledge of that kind of power of what mm-hmm. it can do? And the, and you can maybe justify it to yourself that you can help this little girl and help this family, maybe not have to deal with something really serious just yet, you know, but then as also at the same time, I can also be like, Hey, I know about this, this thing. And I have to tell someone I can't keep it to myself. That's kind of what yeah. it is for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's because I still have, I got to admit, I didn't have an answer to that question. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I think of this. I, I don't understand why uh, exactly he does it. And I know I'm not, you know, maybe part of it is Judd doesn't exactly understand why, mm-hmm. you know, I, like I, I said, think- I don't think it's anything influencing him. Mm-hmm. Maybe after, like you said, like after he did, he buried church up there, like yeah. it kind of woke something up and maybe the power of the place had something to do with Gage's death. Well, I mean, but before that, to... I think it was all just Judd. Right. I think so too. But I think it seems to have a pull over Lewis. It does. You know, especially when he takes Rachel up there, it's mm-hmm. like, good God. I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, after what you've just seen. Yeah. Well, he's also probably kind of lost a few marbles <laughs> at that point, what oh, he's been I through. I think so. I think so. Now, I like the idea of the Zelda story. I don't know if I love the execution of it for some <laughs> reason. Okay. I've known so many people who who were just incredibly freaked out by Zelda. And I... I never was. I, and I, I just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Zelda never scared me. Yeah. And I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand that either. Like, I always just felt bad for her. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you have this poor uh, physically disabled person that is turned into an object of fear. And I, I, I didn't... I guess she I'm not... Just sick. I, exactly. Exactly. You know, and I, I guess that... Always kind of bugged me a little bit, to be honest. To be fair, they do make it a little freaky having a man play her, they do. and then the, mm-hmm. the the effects. So it's a, something's a little not right, you know, and yeah. with the effects on her back, and yeah. even the way that the bedroom where she shot in. What I kind of noticed this time was that the it's like a almost kind of like a four, four poster bed in a way, but the the posts are huge. Mm-hmm. the bed the bed looks huge and the the room is like just like dark and scary like you know like rachel says in her story like she was in the the back bedroom like a dirty secret like a dark dirty secret you know yeah. to hide and everything i think probably looks so much bigger because you know when you're little you remember things being so much bigger it's like when we that's true you know yeah. when, when we talked about the movie indian summer Right. He gets everything. It looks so small. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, it's... No, no. That's, that's Rachel's recollection of it. Yeah, yeah it's like her everything was bigger so. and like... Yeah. But yeah, I never got that either. I was I was never scared of Zelda. Everyone always talks about her as like this thing that like, oh, she was... She always scared me as this, this thing of nightmares. And I was like, but I always just felt bad for her and Rachel was kind of mean when she was I know that's I don't know I I guess I I've always you know I've had you know members of my family not my immediate family necessarily but I've always been around um people with uh various kinds of of uh disabilities and it's just always been I I guess I've always had a compassion for it I for for those for people and have not seen it as something that was scary ever. I don't know. It's one of those things that I honestly, until I watch it, I always forget about it. 
as even being part of the story. <laughs> yeah, and other you know? people, it's such a big part of the story that for them. And all to me, it's a, it's a small, yeah, it's, to yeah. me, it's such a small part of the story. I mean, it's a reminder, of, it's another reminder of death, right? Sure. And, it's, and it's, it's a reminder of Rachel's, honestly, what's scary about it is the way her family just refused to ever discuss it and refused mm-hmm. to ever have it be something that was you know discussed in a in a healthy manner which was what made things frightening you know yeah, and that's... so and so they could never talk about death and you see that with you know after Gage's death the father-in-law just absolutely berating Lewis at the funeral it's like i told her you're you were going to bring her nothing but sadness and all this stuff i was like yeah what the fuck dude you're 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 at your grandson's <laughs> funeral. Have a little bit of dignity. And I was kind of like, and and okay, when I when I first watched the scene, I was like, okay, this is pretty melodramatic. This is over the top. But then it made me remember one of my own experiences. Okay, the last church I worked at, I did a lot of funerals when I was a church worker. I I did music for them and or sound or just had to attend a lot of funerals. And so there were different kinds of vibes to different funerals that you went to. You know, if it was an old person, it was people more who had been sick, especially people were more like relieved or, you know, it it was more like a sense of a celebration of life. But um, other ones were much more heavy feeling. Mm -hmm. The toughest one I ever did was for a kid. He was like Gage's age and he... It was they were on like a family hunting trip, and he accidentally got shot by his God. brother. So Jesus. yeah, wow. so it was brutal, absolutely yeah. brutal. And that I mean, why you would give kids that young guns? I okay, whatever. <laughs> it's a different discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's a different discussion. Um, but but. Seriously, this I remember this guy getting up there and just talking about how this three year old kid was the greatest person he ever knew, and uh, you know, just all these strange sorts of reactions to it all. So, I, I guess while I was at first, I was watching this movie going, Okay, that's that's I don't know if this would ever happen, but as I thought about it, because I mean, funeral scenes in movies are always so dramatic. It's always raining. It's always this or that. Someone's watching from a distance, watching everything, you know, all that stuff. Um, but when, the, when it's a little kid, it's different. Oh, yeah. It, it's just it's just different. And so you, it, they, I think they're probably the most volatile situation you can imagine. And it's, it's just, it's frightening. And uh, you just never know what's going to happen. And so it kind of brought that back to me. And I had almost complete, I had forgotten about it. I hadn't thought about it in so long. So it was just kind of strange. I don't know how that all <laughs> feeds into, right. really plays into this discussion, but it was just, I, I, well, I, mean, I guess it, 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 it made reactions me, to death. Yeah. It made me believe that reaction was possible, I guess. Whereas if I had watched it without that experience, I'm like, well, that's pretty over the top. Did it for movie sake. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) To have a a fight at a funeral. (laughs) I think there's a little bit of that too. But (laughs) But I always kind of think about that scene. Yeah, the death. We've already kind of established in the movie that the the parents 
don't get along with Lewis, don't like him, never have. But it's always like the other guy that kind of pisses me off in that scene. The one that kind of holds Lewis back and says, you know, it's your son's funeral, man. Like, get get right. I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. It's like, who started this? Yeah. (laughs) He started it, A. And B, I think when something like this happens to your kid, you can have whatever kind of reaction you want. Okay? That's right. (laughs) You should deal with it however the fuck you need to. I hate that guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know... And then, then we got in that whole thing where where Judd blames himself, you know, and it's just like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm responsible for your son's death. And this is where you get the famous line, of course. Sometimes death is better. Well, the- one of my favorite. Oh God, I don't know. Like just in terms of like acting and like just those. I always love like little moments, you know, that I like to pick up on in movies. One of my favorites is in um, the scene uh, right after. Uh, Gage dies and it's um, when Ellie comes down and mm-hmm. she's got the picture of her and him and there's that whole thing that she does like you know the out of the mouths of babes thing or she's like yeah. I'm gonna carry this picture with me you know until God lets Gage come back and one of my favorite little things is when she says that and it's um, Lewis is just like catatonic can't really deal with yeah. anything right now can't deal with her at the moment so uh, Judd is kind of dealing with her and he just does a quick little glance over to Lewis when she says that line letting about letting Gage come back. Mm-hmm. And that just says like so much, you know? Yeah. He knows exactly what he's thinking. Yep. Judd is feeling that guilt. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that moment is just absolutely well, perfect. He does that whole just that thing. one little glance. And he's <laughs> like, I, I know what you're thinking of doing and you can't do yep. it. You nope. cannot do this. And that's isn't that where he talks about uh, Timmy and all tells that whole story and or is that later? It's that comes up later. Oh gosh, because yeah. that yeah, because um, then you have like Victor Pasco coming to him. The barrier was not meant to be crossed. I mean that is yep. you know the <laughs> and, and it's ironic that a ghost is telling him that, but you know. <laughs> it's uh but at the same time who else could what do you think do you think he is just a ghost because to me he's always been um a guardian angel yeah yeah i think that there's an element of that he's um he's he's definitely got a messenger from the beyond vibe to him yeah yeah i've always seen him as uh, an angel like for the whole family basically because um Mm -hmm. ellie dreams about him yep he guides uh rachel uh, back home like it, in a way he's kind of guiding her towards her death but he's trying to you know to guide her to get back home you know in time to stop lewis yep from bringing gage back and yeah he comes to lose in a dream so he's uh, it's a very uh, obviously not typically what we would think of an angel would look like the makeup on this guy is amazing i love oh Pat- yeah i the remember way brad, the way brad yeah. greenquist plays it is that's one of the comedic elements to it the is. movie uh-huh. and it's <laughs> i think it's fantastic <laughs> well i i remember um that being one of the either covers or one of the pictures in fangoria when i was a kid i think so that was like I, I remembered that. I mean, his brain showing there and the blood right. down his face. And he's, but he's not a frightening angel. He's not a frightening no. presence. You know, it's not, uh, it's like sort Ellie of like, says, he's a good ghost. He's a good ghost. Yeah. He's not, yeah. you know, one of the shining ghosts. Right. right. So I, th- I think that's really an interesting thing. Um, now <laughs> it's just that, Lu- it's just that Lewis doesn't listen to him. Ellie right. does and Rachel does, but Lewis uh-huh. doesn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I you get the feel Rachel can't see him, hmm. but she kind of senses him. Yeah, you know, and and I I love that she's sort of just nudged in the right direction by him. And the and other, so are other people, and other the... people as well. You know, the truck driver and the the rental place person and the and the and the flight yep. attendant. Uh, you know, I think that's all great. Yep. Now, when she's when they're at the parents' house in Chicago, and I know it's foreshadowing, but that painting, painting on the wall is so freaking weird. <laughs> who, who would have that? <laughs> what is that? It is the weirdest painting because like this old woman in a blue dress wearing a top hat with a cat at her feet that's got like a humanish face. Yeah, the I mean, cat's face is so freaky looking. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's human like. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And then, but of course, you know that's like how Gage is dressed when when she yes. sees, um, and the cat of course looks like Church, uh, at least in coloring. It's yeah. so. <laughs> but I, I see. I saw that painting. I was like, "Why would you hang that over your mantle?" These people. I mean, Who would buy I'm sorry. That? I'm sorry. Rachel's parents are insane. They're they are clearly insane. <laughs> um, now, when they when she has the nightmare and it's she's standing next to it before she leaves and go, to go back home, she's like standing right next to it in her dream, and you know all the pictures on the walls are askew and everything. Uh, I like the way this movie does sort of dream imagery and sometimes it's when the people are awake yeah Judd. yeah and when when lewis goes into judd's house and Mm -hmm. it's all mossy and overgrown with everything i love that as soon as he picks up rachel's shoe yeah yeah then it changes then it changes back (laughs) Uh uh-huh it's great it's great and you know there are other things that i think really effective i think the effect on the cat's eye is really cool the yellow oh, God, yeah yeah i mean it's it's like how how do they even make that work it's it's without computers is pretty amazing it's it's it, it seems weird like, kind of lighting it trick was a lighting a trick yeah it was a lighting yeah. trick you know and i and like how gauge gets you know the truck looks like it's coming right on him but it was done with a mm-hmm. mirror i mean that's all just brilliant yeah it's brilliant how well they how they made it that is. all work you know uh, and it looks great. It looks, it's completely convincing. I love that kind of in-camera trickery and that they, oh, totally. yeah, cause they didn't do, it seems to me, they didn't do post kinds of effects, like visual effects. They might have, and I missed it. So. Oh, well, obviously when Victor like disappears, that, that would be one, but, but that's about all I can think of. Okay. Gage, knife wielding Gage. Mm-hmm. N- now, now that's, that is scary. Okay. <laughs> Little kid is with it the scalpel, or is it? It's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. And I gotta say, the laughing, the laughing. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay, <laughs> I. That's creepy as fuck. Yes. <laughs> in an earlier scene, the one that hit me right in the heart was was Gage is talking over the phone. He says, "I love you, Daddy," just like that. I had a phone message from my son. I because. Okay, when I was first working at the last church I was working, I had to work late nights a lot. I would leave before my kids got up, woke up in the morning, and I would be home after they were in bed. It was awful. My wife did this thing where she would she would have them say goodnight to me over the phone. And the first time she did that, it was after like a terrible rehearsal. It had not gone well at all. And it was just this, I remember the voice, it says, I owe you day. <laughs> Night, night, day. It's just Aww. like he was just learning how to talk. And damn it, when I um, when I switched phones, I accidentally 
erase the message so I no. don't have it anymore. But it was just like brutal. I broke down in tears. But so when Gage says that over the phone in the movie, I was like, oh man, it sounded just like <laughs> that that time yeah. uh, with Caleb. But I mean, I, okay, the thing that I, uh, the other th- shot that I remember, of course, is the Achilles tendon slice. And then when he's, when um, Gage slices his f- face, like his cheeks across. And, <laughs> and that was just like, hey, you know, that's, that's something that I, I feel that I don't always feel like if there's a death in a movie, you know, someone gets sliced with a machete, gets her head cut off, whatever. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know yeah. what that feels like. I know what it feels <laughs> like to bang my Achilles tendon. I know what yeah. it feels like to have like webbing on part of my hand or something like that. No. Have like a paper pinch, cut or something on there. or something. Yeah. You know what that feels yeah. like. So, so, so when something like that happens in a movie, it's so much more effective to me, you know? Totally. Because it's, it's just like, ow, 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 ow. And so. it's not like a quick little slice. It's him no. like sawing. Digging <laughs> in. Yeah. Ah. Oh, man. So, gosh, when Rachel gets home, my note and hears him laughing though. I wrote in my notes, the mm-hmm. laughter of children is overrated. <laughs> as a music, as an elementary school music teacher, I can attest to this. Um, sometimes that you're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the laughing. Let's, let's, uh, I, I need a day. I need a day of not laughing and uh, we'll, we'll be good. Uh, <laughs> grumpy I'm a, teacher. I'm a grumpy, curmudgeonly himself. old man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. But you were totally right when um, I hadn't gotten to that part yet. When, um, what'd you call him? You call him Slashy Zombie Gage. <laughs> when he shows up, <laughs> you texted me like when he shows up, that's the, that's totally the same music from Friday the 13th. It is. <laughs> it's only for like a few seconds, but I was like, oh my God, that is. I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe I, I had caught that before and I just forgot, but that totally yeah, it's like when he's, totally ripped off from Friday the 13th. <laughs> it's like when he's cutting up Judd, it, it, it is... I mean, it's not even like, you know, it sort of sounds like it. It sounds exactly like it. It's, it like, they t- it's like they took a track from Friday the 13th and put it in the movie. Mm. Oh, jeez. Then the, now I want to play with you. Oh, jeez. Again, Miko is like so good. He really is. He really is. And that's when Gage shows up and, you know, he's wearing the top hat and the blue dress thing. That moment with Rachel, though, like... It, Again, like just the way that this movie kind of brilliantly juxtaposes like super dark with like kind of softens the blow a little bit, making it a little funny. Like, I mean, the image of a little kid with a scalpel, like trying to be mean and scary, you know, it's it's, kind of cute and kind of funny in a way, too. It is. It is. Yeah. But when you think about like that moment when she sees him, there's a certain little moments that just really kind of remind you again of like what this story really is. And that's it. When she's just like uh, gauge and, you know, and she can barely even talk or like a shot that always really gets to me is um, after Lewis has dug him up. And he's just holding him. Holding him. Oh, yeah. Sitting there by the grave. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Like like he's holding that a gets doll. To me. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. And then like some of the, the fighting, <laughs> quote unquote, fight scenes with Gage are a little. You can tell when it's like kind of dull like yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And But the, when it gets to when Lewis has to basically put him down again i think there's another reminder of that it's kind of cute where he's like no fair or whatever but I before that, that like part. when he 
Yeah, when he first injects him, though, because he, he just, just like, starts gives crying. Him some kind of, he cries like a baby yeah. again. You know, yeah. he's like a yeah. three-year-old. He's he starts he cries like a little infant. You know, mm-hmm. that always that kind of gets to me too. Like, and just yeah. kind of reminding you of like what this really is. Like, this is a little kid that died and come back to life. When my kids, when yeah. my kids were babies and they got their shots, so they get their inoculations. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, they just cry, mm-hmm. and it sounds just like that. But that whole thing. He's just that look on his face, that pouty look. The nope. pouty look with the little like, finger in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. No fair. No fair. I think that is so, I mean, obviously, clearly written by a parent who has experienced, you know, you played a game and dad cheated or dad dad said sorry it's time to stop it's time to wash yep. up for bed or something <laughs> like that no fair you know i mean it's it, that's how it feels and it's i i think yeah. that is really brilliant but then the whole thing you know where at the end you know she just died uh with rachel it's gonna work this time it's like he's bargaining with death and Pasco's is like Pasco is like stop, <laughs> don't. And he just walks right through him. I mean, that's him dismissing mm-hmm. him again. He's, he's still not listening to his guardian angel. He has someone. Yeah. That's the problem with poor Lewis has got like so many people in his ear, Judd yeah. and Pasco, and he's can't, but he can't really um, make the right decision still for himself. He's. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what grief. That's what death does to you. You yeah, know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then you know when. When Rachel comes back and she's just like zombie gross, the dripping eye it and was everything. Gross. That, that always grossed me out. Like after that stuff drips out of her eye and then he kisses her. Kisses he's, like, her. Ah! he's like, he, he's just like completely blinded to the fact that she's a corpse. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, the grabbing the knife. And I love that they don't show it, that, that it's all implied at the yeah. end there. I mean, that's that's a great ending. That's like the, that's like the ending thing ending from the book yeah there wasn't any embrace it was I, I always remember the end of the book was just like like just lewis heard her come in and it ends with um darling it yeah. said yeah it <laughs> that's the said, last those yeah. are the last lines it said that's yeah. the last line of the book it's a strong ending it's sort of the the carry ending without being the carry ending mm-hmm. it's not a it's not something that's out of place exactly not that the carry ending is out of place i'm just saying that that turns out to be a dream, you know. <laughs> but I mean, like the when that that ending just kind of got put onto every horror movie in the eighties, right? Right. You know, and there there was no escaping it. And with this one, it's actually I think kind of true to the rest of the story. Yeah, I was just thinking, is it? That's probably a wrong question. Like, is it what he deserves? Is it was it oh. maybe the right ending? What should have happened with him? Yeah. I, th- I, I think it's what I, you know, he could not stop for death. So death kindly stopped for him, so to speak, you know, um, he, that's a good he, way of putting he it, yeah. couldn't, I mean, that's Emily Dickinson's way of putting it, but it's just, uh, this whole idea of, you know, he is not willing to deal with death. So he has to or die. respect it or respect. Yeah. Or, or give it, give it its due because he can't do that. You know, death is just going to take him. You know, and I think that ha- that is appropriate because he's always trying to escape it, and it's yeah. inevitable. But he's not the one trying to escape it. Rachel is. He's willing to face it. He says he is. Earlier, he, his he's, he's, his actions are very different than his yeah, words. They are. Yeah. What they he t- what he tells Ellie and what he ends up doing himself. Yeah. Are pretty different. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, again, it's sort of like with Judd. I mean, why, knowing what he knows, does he do this? Does he do what he does anyway? You know, why does he take Lewis up to the, up to the grounds? You know, I mean, it's more of that same idea. It's like, I know what I know, but I'm, but that's not going to affect my decision (laughs) anyway. Um, So I don't know. You know, what I also kind of noticed about this movie too, is that the way that it kind of shows different types of death too, that um, people have to deal with. Uh There's death by misadventure yep. <laughs> this is the kind way of saying it you know with gage mm-hmm. um uh suicide yeah and just being and just being sick and yep. dying like zelda does yep. mm-hmm. which I, I i had never noticed that before but that's that's kind of a good way to portray it too yeah like, i think so because there's like we like we talked about before like dif- having different reactions but you can you have a different reaction like the way that it happens maybe sometimes it's you know you don't like to say that it's easy to accept you know when in older person passes away but sometimes you know that's it's expected from you know Mm -hmm. some people and when it's unexpected yeah that's a lot harder to deal with but i guess you still there still has to be a a healthy way to deal with it before it destroys you too maybe that's what Mm -hmm. it's this movie is trying to say in a way too yeah i think so i think so yeah coming to grips with death never an easy thing right no (laughs) you yeah and now on to (laughs) have you done that one (laughs) a love story a boy in his car a boy in his car the story of a boy in his car was there before we do that though is there anything else you wanted to say about a pet cemetery Nah, that i can think of right now just that yeah this uh, still gets to me and it's definitely a an adaptation that i think is very true to king and his style too like especially yeah, the style he had in the very 80s authentic to king yes it feels so king and uh I, I love the approach to it the way that the the story was told like i said like mixing the the comedy with the the horror is it really helps a lot because this movie could get really really get to you if this was more serious you know mm-hmm. can you think of like how much more of a downer this movie would be if it didn't have like some of that element to it like uh I don't know that you'd be able to to handle it with a little kid dying like that, you know? So I think yeah. that was a, a good way to, to tell the story, like make it just a little bit more palatable, but never truly let you forget like what the story is about and what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a great job at that. Yeah, I think so too. And now, now. <laughs> we move on to the story of a boy and his first love named Christine I am stoked about this one. I hadn't watched this in forever, and I never had really had a chance to like talk about it. But there's a lot to get into with this one too. I love it. This movie is, you know, I know that uh, this came on the heels of John Carpenter having a couple of box office failures between The Fog and The Thing. Uh, both acknowledged classics now, of course, but at the time um, didn't. Do the fog so is my well. favorite of his. Yeah, I've only seen The Fog once. I've got to see that one again. So he was going to be doing Firestarter, but that got, after the thing failed, um, that got taken away from him. That's right. But then he, somehow he was given the opportunity to do Christine. Um, and he took it as a job for hire, but it doesn't feel like it. It does not feel like it's just a, just a hired gun kind of job. It, he's It's got all of the panache and visual style of a carpenter film as far as an adaptation 
Uh, this has got some big differences from the book. I don't that remember I, the book as well. Yeah, I think they actually benefit the story. Okay. Um, I love, for example, that Christine is just born bad. You know, right. she's not a ghost. She it's, comes off the assembly line. Yeah, bad. it's not. It's not a ghost or a demon or a spell or you know someone put a Ouija board in the back seat or something like that. It is just she's just bad to the bone, right? Um, so right. the real question that we're going to have is do we end this episode with the Ramones or with George <laughs> Thorogood? <laughs> I was totally singing. I don't want to be bad. I've been singing that for the last two days. Cemetery. I've been singing that for the last two days. Yeah. But, you but know, then I, this movie is yeah, bookended with bad to the bone. Bad so to the bone. Like, I know. How do you, how do you not have that? In your head, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, so I love that because in the book, it's actually, you know, sort of the spirit. It's possessed by the yeah. spirit of Roland LeMay. Which is so. still kind of, you get that he's sort of possessing Arnie in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just not the car. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. some some of the their attitudes uh, remain the yeah. same. You know, it's like no shitters ever going to get between us and Christine. I, he's the, yeah. I forgot how many times this movie says shitters. <laughs> like, yeah. That's one thing I remembered from the book very well. Which is too. a very Stephen King kind shitters. of thing, you know. Yes. That's a, you know, this, <laughs> yes. this, this movie is full of those sort of. Like Judd, I think of as an indelible King character, but this mm-hmm. one, you know, like Darnell is yeah, such Darnell a Darnell and George LeBay are yeah, absolutely are both, King characters. I, did I say LeMay? Yeah, LeMay is our the garbage company that's, that's near here. Um, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, um, LeBay. Yeah. But yeah, those characters are so King. I mean, those are- With the exactly harsh language. Things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that you know, this movie kind of takes its time, you know, getting going. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got that opening cold open, right? With the, uh, she's rolling the off car. His, the car off, yeah. coming off the assembly line. And it's the only one that's red. The rest of them are all white. And she, and, you know, I call her she, I call Christine she. Um, you have to. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like slamming the hood down on the guy's hand and then the guy gets, goes in gets in the car and starts smoking and he gets killed okay what well, I, <laughs> I had a thought too while i was watching it it was like oh does christine kill him because he got ash on her seat and she didn't like that <laughs> that's my thought um but it's also but also <laughs> or you she know, just wanted to kill everybody i don't know well not only that but i think there's also because this because she talks through the radio right and mm-hmm. the song that is Don't Fade Away, it's like, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. You're going to give your love to me. And he 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 doesn't. He doesn't do that. So she kills him. Oh. Like it's, she wanted him to be her first victim anyway. Yeah. It's like. You, but I, he couldn't. Or, but he didn't. Yeah. He, he was like, you, if you don't, if you're not going to love me, then, then I'm going to kill you. She's a bitch. She's a <laughs> real bitch. Anyway. Uh <laughs> Um, but I, I, I think, uh, I think some of the things that are really clever, you know, like the music, it's all fifties music. And then, the, then when it switches from 1958 to 1978, it's the same song. It's just a, like a cover version of it. I've always I thought that stuff that. was kind of cool. And actually, <laughs> you know, Carpenter wrote the score, but the score doesn't even really come in until Christine is restored. It's like when she mm-hmm. is it becomes it's it sort of becomes strong you know when the score comes alive when Christine does if you want to say, put it that way I thought that was an interesting that's something I had never noticed before but I was like oh 
yeah, there's it's not coming in yet. And I like how he doesn't use it in places where you one would think that he would or that any kind of filmmaker would like especially the the scene where lee is choking and it's just the song on the radio mm-hmm. i thought that was kind of the, the good way to do that you know yeah it makes it it makes it so much more creepy yeah to have, to have no kind of score underneath that yeah i mean the the 50s songs are are just kind of this cool way of doing it. it's like when when they're trying to get in you know you keep a knocking but you can't come in you know exactly. and yeah. things like that i love that <laughs> that's when dennis is trying to get in <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean it's just kind of it we meet christine is the first character we meet and then it goes cuts right to we meet dennis and we meet arnie right it's so it takes its time really getting to know who all of these people are you get a sense of what's going on between arnie and his parents and that Uh first you know at least what kind of a mom that his mom is she's tough (laughs) yelling at dennis for you might as well be dumping toxic waste on our front lawn. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, noise pollution. That's noise pollution. Yeah. You're like, okay, calm down. Now, the relationship between Arnie and Dennis is interesting. It's almost like these guys have just been friends for so long that mm-hmm. the fact that they're in sort of different social strata at this school doesn't even matter. They're, they're, just, yeah. they're just too good of of friends to have that be a problem because Dennis is, you know, football star. He's got his own nice car. He's got, he's sort of a ladies man. And then he's Arnie, a dick though. <laughs> he, he is, he is. I agree. There's a, there's a, I think, I think this movie says a lot about toxic masculinity way oh, before, <laughs> way, way before that was really something that was in discussion. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, one like one of those first conversations here is talking about getting Arnie laid. Yep. And Dennis refers to like one potential mate for him as a walking, walking sperm, sperm bank. bank. Yeah. That's real yeah. nice, Dennis. Yeah, I know. I know. So <laughs> when they first see Lee, what do they, how do they describe just, Lee? It's, like, no, it's she, not Dennis. She, now she not looks, Dennis, but it's another guy. She looks smart, yeah. but she's got the body of a slut. Is what he says. It's like. It is wow. The, it's actually a really <laughs> stupid line. It's like, <laughs> I actually yeah. always found that line really dumb. It's like, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Um, yeah, the, but the guys in this movie, uh, Dennis's friends especially, are just, oh, of course, <laughs> Buddy Repperton is not exactly a, a, a good guy either, but or quite the opposite. Um, but, you know, the way they treat the women in this school, you know, and there's, there's that girl that actually is into Dennis and he always is blowing Poor her Kelly off. Preston. All she, um, <laughs> all she gets to do in this movie is smile and say, hi Dennis. And then be disappointed when he ignores her. I know. Uh, I didn't even realize I was her to be honest, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's uh, Kelly Preston. Yeah. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. But, but Lee, I love how Lee kind of just sees through it all. I love that. There's also just not really any, um, you, we don't see them meet. We don't see the beginning of their relationship at all. Lee's and Arnie's. Arnie's right. It just it just kind of happens. But you definitely kind of get, I think, what happened. You know, yeah. why she went for him rather than anybody else. Kind of like you were saying. Like I mean, when when Dennis approaches her in the library, mm-hmm. and um, he's just doing he asks her out, and yeah. she rejects. He's like so like, oh my god, I can't believe you're rejecting me. When he asks her like, why, right. why, why can't you go out with me? He's like, 
bitch, maybe because she's got other plans. <laughs> right, exactly. So you kind of you kind of get that like Arnie was able to to get her because he probably couldn't help being his nerdy little self, you know, like he, yeah. like he is at the beginning of the movie right. at least. And right. that's what, and so she saw through like the other guys and she was attracted to him. Here's what I think happens. Now, Arnie buys Christine because he's like, it's like love at first sight when he sees this car. Mm-hmm. And instantly it's, he starts developing confidence mm-hmm. that it then goes too far. But at the early stages, it's actually really kind of beneficial you know, it's it's like yep. he's he's still a nice guy, he's still a good guy, and but he's he's just more confident than he was because of this car, right? And the more he fixes the car up, sort of, the more of this sort of confidence he has until it becomes too much, until he goes yeah. like far beyond even Dennis or any of these other guys. You know, I like as they do the classic thing, or like you're cooler. As soon as you lose the glasses, <laughs> it's like <come laughs> ah, that, that old trope. I know people um, with glasses are hot too. Come on, that's right. <laughs> I say as we both wear glasses. <laughs> that's right. God, uh, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the the way it's said. Yeah, he's up, able to his stand up to his parents. Yeah, you know, a little bit more, a little have some more, makes him more self assured and more confident. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to the, uh, but of course, later, of course, he goes too far, you know, he tries to choke, yes. <laughs> choke his own father and all that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he yeah, where I would say, you know, he dresses, he started dressing differently. He's carrying himself with more confidence. He's already becoming a little bit of a jerk, but, you know, not, <laughs> not, <laughs> not too terrible yet. But I mean, I love all the setup that they do early on. The, all the heavy lifting is sort of put up at the beginning, like how you mm-hmm. meet Darnell, I think is really funny. I think the actor, I got to look it up. I'm sorry. Um, Robert Prosky, who plays Darnell, is so, so funny in that he's role. Perfect. <laughs> I, I think he's just wonderful. You know, he's he's been in, you know, Gremlins 2. And we talked about him in Broadcast News, Mrs. Doubtfire <gasps> Thief, right. all sorts of things. He's just, yes. he's just great. That's where I know it's from. He's this one, one of those wonderful character actors, but I just think he is so damn funny as Darnell. And that and that's probably the character I'll always associate him. It's like, whereas I was like, yo, you better get out of here. I'll throw her out, your, out on your fucking ass. You know, I, <laughs> And it's just a very Stephen King kind of character. Yes. I know a creep when I see one. I think I'm looking at one right now. The way he says Damn, it, he's right. so exasperated. I think I'm looking at one right now. You know, it's yeah. like he's so tired of it all. It's like, oh, get out of here. We're closed. So. Oh, I love that scene too. When they first go over there and he says there's no smoking and Dennis being the punk little kid is like, sir, those men over there are smoking. You better tell them to stop. It's like, do you want to get thrown out of here? I'll throw your friend out on your fucking ass. <laughs> just, <laughs> he's just so funny. I And every time he shows up, you know, and he's got a little bit of a soft center to him. You know, he appreciates mm-hmm. what Arnie's doing and he sees his talent. And, he recognize, Yeah, he recognizes yeah. talent. Yeah, he, he kind of offers him a little bit of money, you know, for, for doing some odd jobs around the garage and stuff. It's nice. It's, it's, a, it's a cool character. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those characters that I like to see in a movie, you know. He's actually yeah. a, one of my favorite characters in the movie, to be honest. Um, <laughs> even though he's a jerk, he's, he's, he's just so incredibly entertaining. So, I mean, early on, we, uh, 
my notes on this are pretty sparse. I know you've got more detailed okay. notes than I do. So if you want to, I can, I can talk about this movie, however it goes, because uh, I don't want to miss anything that, that you want to talk about. Well, I was just kind of more focusing on uh, Arnie's character a lot and yeah. like what, what was really going on with him. And one of the sure. lines that I really liked um, at the beginning after he, after he gets Christine, first of all, like he immediately starts calling her, her, Yep. you know, that's the very first thing I want to look at her again, you know, which is exactly from the book too. That's like, that's yep. the beginning of one of the chapters I remember from Christine was like, stop Dennis, like go back, you know, was, I want to look at her again. That's how the chapter starts. I remember that for some reason. And um, when um, Dennis asks him, you know, like, what is it about that car? And he kind of, maybe kind of jokingly, but also I think he's being totally honest when he says, you know, I found, I think it's because I found something uglier than I am. And Dennis is like, no, you're not ugly. And this line from him is, um, it's kind of profound. Like, uh, when he says, I know what I am. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's really sad. It is. To me, because that's... You know, that's the, the kid in high school. You know, obviously he's portray- he's portrayed as like a nerd, you mm-hmm. know, the huge black glasses um, and just the way he carries himself. And he's he's not as, as cool as Dennis. You know, he can't get the locker open. You he's know, he can't talk clumsy. to me. He yeah. can't. Yeah, you know, he's kind of clumsy with his words, too. He can't really. He tries to joke with one of Dennis's friends and the guy is just like he's a dick, too. Has immediate that's the one comeback, who calls, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's the guy who says the thing about Lee. So right. I don't like him. <laughs> right, I don't like him either. He's... But you kind of get you. I think it, no matter what happened, what Arnie does, I think you still kind of feel sorry for him all the way through. Or at least I do. Or at least and you can understand. I think what's happening to him. Yeah, you know, because you see the change. Like you want to have, you want him to have more confidence, and you want him to be a little more cooler and a little bit more accepted. But he turns. It turns bad and he takes it too far and you just that lesson of you know like people like you more when you're just being yourself maybe mm-hmm. not when you're trying to be somebody or not when you let something control you this much you know it's not yeah. the car or whatever was going on in this movie is is controlling him possessing him something but it's also it's it's kind of a metaphor for your know, puberty in a way too mm-hmm. i would say <laughs> oh yeah uh i think there's also I wouldn't be surprised if there's metaphor for addiction in there, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, Or maybe even, because I'm getting some element of fame, just Mm -hmm. kind of that it becomes consuming, you know. I think it's totally addiction, too. I think that whole scene, that whole speech that he has about love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think he's talking about love. No, no, he's definitely not talking about love. Yeah, he thinks he is. I mean, he does does say that he's talking about... Yeah, he does say that he's talking about Christine, and yeah. that, but it's not love that he's describing. No, no, it's definitely not. I, I think there are... Okay, so here, here's a couple of things. I also, with the relationship with Arnie's parents, I find interesting. Mm-hmm. His He says his parents, even, even after he's fixed the car up, you know, they still don't want me to grow... Uh, they still won't let me park her at the house because it clutters up the yard or whatever, and says... They don't want me to grow up because then they have to face that they're getting old. Yep. And then he says <laughs> something that I think relates back to The Shining. Did it ever? Has it ever occurred to you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that part of being a parent, the part of being a parent, is trying to kill your kids. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. That line has always been in my head. I always forget it's from this movie, but I, I think that is like the theme of The Shining. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so I, 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 I think it's just this idea that somewhere in you, there's, if, if you're really, really honest, there's some element of parenthood where you just want to be left alone, where you just don't want them around. <laughs> and um, I always, I always remember a line from Six Feet Under, <laughs> actually. Okay. When um, it's, uh, oh God, what's his name? The the character that Michael C. Hall plays. Right. I can't remember his name either, but. No, they, yeah. they adopt kids and he's talking about them. He's like, oh, they're, I'm like mom. I'm like a mama bear with my cubs. You know, I love, I love those boys. And then there are days that I want to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> yeah. I, I think. He's talking to Brenda and she's like, yeah, well, that's, that's part of it too. Yeah. Right. right. There's like, there's like an understanding between parents about that element of it. And you know. You know, a good parent is not actually going to follow through, of course, but it's not that those thoughts never occur to you. I mean, come on. (laughs) That's one of the things I like about movies like like what Stephen King, the way he writes, he acknowledges that fact in some way a lot uh, that, Mm -hmm. that sometimes you just have these horrible dark places in you that you can imagine yourself doing you know just going crazy (laughs) just going crazy one day um and then i think another one is like um you know the baba duke is a good example of that too where she's uh, why can't you just be normal why can't you stop kicking the back of my fucking seat that whole kind of thing and i can relate to that as well um because you know my (laughs) i without getting too personal you know my my children some of them two of them have some neurological kinds of spectrum things going on and so there are some of those things that make you go just have those kinds of thoughts you know this like the wanting to you don't want to kill your kids but i mean you know what i mean no. they're there but the dark places in a parent's heart that king is willing to go i actually really appreciate about him sure. and it's acknowledging Speaking the truth <laughs> things that that are there that we never want to talk about you know and no i'm not planning on killing my children don't worry <laughs> i get uh, it <laughs> yeah I think I think that edit that to make me sound cool, okay? I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um but then after that is that drive-in scene. So cool. You know, I mean we're I don't think Lee is like opposed to you know, making out and getting with with Arnie, uh getting a little closer with Arnie, but just not in that damn car. <laughs> she doesn't want to fucking Christine. No. Right. She's just not into that. It's like, it's that damn car. And then that's where the sort of this acknowledged jealousy between Lee and Christine mm-hmm. and Christine and Lee, you know? She kind of like slaps the seat. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like me hitting your girl. Yeah. I mean, I it's, love that. It's great. And just another line from Arnie in that too is when he's just kind of frustrated and he's like, nobody likes my car these days, right. you know? Uh, I kind of get that in a way, like nobody's appreciating like this thing that I'm into, this thing that I love, or maybe this he's even thing talking that about I himself. Worked really hard on, hard you on. Know, yeah, nobody yeah, is get... acknowledging that, and mm-hmm. you know, giving me my props for and you, you know, know getting he's... this piece of junk and restoring it. Or he's talking about himself. Yeah. He's saying like maybe nobody likes me as much these days. He's kind he's of recognizing the, the change mm-hmm. that's happened in him. Sure. And he's kind of done a restoration job on himself, too. Yeah. In a manner of speaking, you know. That... I love the way this scene plays out, the way yeah. that 
Christine kind of sets it up. Yeah. Anyway, because when Lee reaches for the hamburger and then the windshield wiper stops. Yeah. He's got to get out and fix it. I love that. Yeah. And I don't like. I don't know what was the what was with the choice for the bright light, but it just looks so cool. It's a fantastic (laughs) look. I I mean, who knows where that light is coming from? But it right cares, you know, or like what it means or whatever. But where that idea came from? But it just it yeah. looks awesome yeah camera and, and just and again like i said like not using score but using the song from the radio and really letting the choking play out so you mm. can that's one thing that you can feel too you know yeah. like there's one shot of like from above like when she kind of like throws her head back that she's got yeah. this look on her face or you can just see that desperation you can see from someone it looks like she's actually choking like mm-hmm. the look on her face it's mm-hmm. just it's very cool yeah <laughs> And you know, and then the guy in the big Lebowski sweater, you know, grabs her out of the car and gives her the Heimlich the maneuver. He's he's he looks like he's wearing the dude's sweater uh, from, notice that. from the big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that fight on the way home is like, well, why didn't you come in and help me? It's like my door was locked. It's like, well. It's like, then you tried to stop the guy. I thought he was attacking you. It's like, he was giving me the Heimlich maneuver. I could have given you the Heimlich maneuver. (laughs) Christine was stopping you. That's right. There are a lot of great sequences in this, in this um, later stuff, you know, here, you know, Buddy's gang comes over and smashes up the car. I like the first thing with uh, Buddy and his gang though. Oh, earlier on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, With the yogurt and stuff, Mm -hmm. the switchblade. I think it's, it's, in the shop. I, I like that because for, for some reason to me, it feels like a more, like when you see like school fights sometimes in movies, like this one feels like how one would actually happen, mm-hmm. you know, like they would mess with them a little bit and then some guy would be like, you know, just go get a teacher yeah. and the teacher would show up and deal with it, you know, like that's how it and would the actually happen. It wouldn't be like this big elaborate deals thing. with it. Yeah. You know, rather than, it's like. And he just says, you know, empty your pockets or I'm going to call the cops. Okay. You know, and then that's what yeah. it comes down to. And it's like, okay. Ghostbusters reference to, yeah, that one guy. Oh, uh, uh, that's right. The guy that's getting <laughs> in the electric shock experiment with Vinkman is one of, buddy's, one of buddy's friends. And, and another one is. I noticed him. And Ted. I noticed him from his hair. His hair is exactly <laughs> the same. Yes. And then Ted from uh, Friday the 13th part two. Not to be confused with Ted from Friday the 13th, the final chapter, who was in The Last American Virgin. So. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. <laughs> I haven't seen that yeah. one forever. Um, yeah, Speaking so. of the hair, one thing I love about the 80s, too, is like how nice and soft and feathery and curly oh, the I guy's hair, hair is. Like, like, Buddy has a beautiful head of hair, I must say. I had hair like that. <laughs> Very much does. I had hair. Actually, really? my, my hair. <laughs> My hair was, I'm, I'm like bald now, but, um, my, my hair was kind of like, uh, the electroshock guy. Um, really? my, my, my hair was very tight curls like nice. that turned into yeah, a big, just big a old fro. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was me. Yeah. I, that, I like that fight scene too. I mean, it sort of also, uh, keeps Dennis and Arnie's sort of relationship. It did you know dennis is dennis is kind of a protector to arnie mm-hmm. just what and he's, he's not afraid become. to be he does yeah he's, he's, that's one thing I, I do like about dennis is that he's not one of those popular jocks that's like embarrassed to be friends with arnie you know like right. he's he's not like one of those 
kind of a dick. So he's still kind of a dick, but not yeah. in that way. <laughs> well, the thing, that's the thing. Another thing about this movie is everyone kind of is. You know, there's. I don't think there's any, I mean, except maybe Lee. There's any, Lee is probably a good person. Yeah. But, <laughs> Overall, yeah. But most of the characters in this movie are, you know, some shade of gray. That's true. So. I mean, Buddy and his gang are pretty lousy, but you know, they're, but, but, <laughs> but it's that thing where you can tell that Buddy yeah. is like really the bad one and the, yeah. the ones that kind of hang out with him just kind of hang out with him probably because they're scared of him too. And they're not really friends with him. Yeah. The scene after, um, going, we're kind of going no, all over the place here, but whatever. Um, I also like the scene after, um, at the drive in when he takes Lee home. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was, uh, when he gets, mm-hmm back into the car and it won't start i just i like that as it i love that as like a relationship moment between him and christine in a way because you know he doesn't of course he's not gonna like get mad at christine if she doesn't start no he's gonna gently coax her and you know into starting but it's like he has to he says every yeah he says very specifically everything is the same Mm -hmm. so it's like it's so cre- kind of creepy in a way. It's like he has to reassure her that he's not mad at her for trying to kill Lee. Right. Which is kind of creepy, kind of wrong, yeah. kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's just that thing of the, yeah, the love and addiction. He's getting deeper into it now. Because it just tried to kill somebody that he actually really does care about, mm-hmm. I think. Or he and would. But Christine, he would if, yeah, Christine wasn't in between two of them. Yeah. yeah so after... Oh, yeah. When they come in, when they destroy his car. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's just wow <laughs> uh they, they make it it's almost not like some dents no <laughs> it's a broken like, windshield it's like a <laughs> it's ritual. like fucking destroyed yeah it's a it's a it's like a ritual they do you know he climbs <laughs> up on top of the car and you know brings a sledgehammer down they all wait for him for buddy to actually start doing it before they join in and yeah. uh then you know one of them takes it they don't show it but one of them takes a dump on the dashboard apparently i wonder who that was i think it was the ghostbusters guy either that or um <laughs> or, or ted because he had that joke ted. you know <laughs> ted's got that joke in friday the 13th part two you know what's brown and sits on a piano <laughs> beethoven's last movement um God. so <laughs> it was him you're welcome that's, okay now <laughs> that's took a dump on the dashboard <laughs> well when they come back the next day and they find the car just smashed to shit you know i mean it's total absolutely it's freaking destroyed yeah it, like the hood is gone and it's just yeah. i know and he and he just he absolutely he, i wonder the how they did does, that they actually smashed the car <laughs> <laughs> no i wonder like how uh, since we only see them like with the little sledgehammer you just kind of wonder like what the hell did they actually oh do i to see that what you mean. Make, I, thought, I thought you were talking you know, about the that filmmakers. kind of damage <laughs> not <the> filmmakers <laughs> see how movies work is they bought a whole bunch of these cars and they used them what? for different things okay oh, oh. anyway <laughs> but um you know the first thing he does is he starts yelling at lee you know you're jealous mm-hmm. and you know this is your your fault and then bl- blames his parents you know if you had let me keep it here this that's wouldn't he, have oh, yeah, happened that's when he and chokes his father he chokes his father and he goes and then after he does that his father's just like freaked out he says all right i'm gonna hit the sack and he just walks upstairs he doesn't leave the house oh, yeah, or he anything kinda, yeah he just sort he of kind of smiles yeah it just gives him a little pat on pat on the cheek i'm gonna hit the sack I, it's it's crazy. Keith Gordon is so good. In this. He's oh, so yeah. good. He in is. This. 
I mean, it's just like, it's a fantastic performance. I wish he had been in more stuff. He I was... know. I know. He's sort of focused on directing now. Yeah. He directed a lot of TV stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I looked Lots up, TV. I thought for sure I had seen like one of his, a movie that he had directed, but I don't think I have. Yeah. Just since seen this, I've just seen the stuff that he's in and he's great. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I know that working with the Palma and working with Carpenter had a, a big influence on him wanting to Hello. be a director, you know, um, I you know, can't imagine Get to be why. in Dress to Kill. He was in yeah. All That Jazz, too. Wasn't oh, he? is he? Little, at least a, a small, I think a small role. I love All That Jazz. I do, too. I've only seen it, been able to see it, watch it once because it affected me so much, but. Yeah, me uh, too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, and then the, like the cool scene. I love this scene. After this. This, this is the, I love this This scene. is the iconic scene of the movie. Yeah. Where he's like, I, I'm going to fix you up as good as new and everything's going to be okay and and then we'll he hear- show those shitters what, well, what yeah. we can do then he hears you know he hears the sound and he's, then he sees the cams have repaired themselves on top of the engine he's like okay and he just walks to that pool of light you know and turns around and faces her okay <laughs> show me and then that's the, such a great shot yeah when the headlights go on headlights uh. come on and it's sort of that stinger that you know unmistakable john carpenter alan howarth music comes starts playing oh it's man. a short little scene but I, the the music i saw was like this kind of sexy it is in a way so it's got a jazz kind of thing to it yeah i definitely saw this scene as kind of like a seduction scene Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like she's getting dressed but, in front of him exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly like christine is just seducing him just that much more yeah. like letting him in on a little bit more of what you know, she can do and what she can do for him you know and i know you know most of it is done through like reverse photography and it still stuff looks like fucking that cool. but I'm sorry. it <laughs> looks it's so good so good and it still holds up so well yeah the my Blu-ray looks gorgeous, oh, clear, beautiful. That, that 4K scan that they put out is so good. I mean, I it's, don't have a 4K. I, I don't. But... Ha- I don't have the 4K edition, but I have. But it was scanned on for 4K. Okay. And so that's on the Blu-ray, and it looks great. You can see, you know, yeah. just the texture of the film and everything. It's so. It looks fantastic. And those effects of the car repairing itself still look perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me. there's not a, there's not, you I don't see, you can't punch a, a single hole in what they did in that. Uh, it's, oh, it's incredible. It's one of those scenes that made me go, oh man, because between this and, you know, like watching Star Wars over and over, what I really wanted to do when I was a kid is I wanted to make models for movies, you know? Uh-huh. And blow them up. That's so. I wanted to do. I wanted to do those kinds of effects. You know. So right. so it's between between you know all the model work and stuff like that and Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, ET stuff like that, and then here in Christine in particular, I think you know that sort of more than like makeup effects. You know, these sort of big mechanical effects. That was the mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. I thought that was so cool. I wanted to be a foley artist. Yeah. <laughs> When I figured out what that was, I was like, that sounds like fun. I, I know. Do it's that. Like, it is. That, I, I, yeah. I found out what that was much later. But I, when I learned about it, I was like, oh, that is so cool. Right? Yeah. Um, you can sit in a little studio and like snap pieces of celery yeah. for like a bone breaking or something. That'd be cool. Exactly. I would love to do that. Are you kidding me? Stabbing cassabas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, it turns into a little bit of a slasher after this. With it's, Moochie? 
I love the scene with Moochie. Yeah, I, I think that the way that's done is so cool. Because he just kind of sees her out there. She's like stalking him. Yeah, exactly. And there's a sense in this scene, and I think in the buddy scene, up to a certain point anyway, where there's still plenty of question is to whether or not Arnie's driving the Arnie's car. in there. Yeah. yeah. Or if he's at least sitting in there while she's doing this, you know? Yeah. Because in the last the last scene, there is a shot of him sitting in Christine and he looks like a zombie, pretty much. Like he doesn't that, really know what's going on. That scene, that when the reveal that he's in it, that he's in the car at that yeah. point is is a big deal. I don't think he is for, for these, though. I honestly think... I don't think he is. I, for Moochie and Buddy, I don't think he's in the car. I think this is Christine doing her thing. because, yeah. And the reason why is because when Christine gets back to the garage, it's empty. When Darnell... Well, you know, after that, she could have dropped. She could have dropped him off, and like he has no memory of it, kind of thing. Yeah, I suppose. I don't think so. No, no. I think it's just Christine. <laughs> I think this yeah. is Christine. <laughs> this this feels like Christine doing her thing, but the way Moochie is 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 killed is so. I because he sort of escapes and he gets into that that little alleyway that's too narrow for the car to go into. She squeezes and she her just hand. pushes yeah. in anyway. I love that so much. I've it always thought that so was fantastic, yeah. and it, it's just like, ah, I escaped you. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I can repair myself, bitch. I don't yeah, think so. <laughs> that's right. And then you know the next part where Harry Dean Stanton Woo! comes on. Harry Dean. Harry Dean Stanton. As, as uh, state police officer Rudolph Junkins. Now that's a name out of King. That's a Stephen King name. That's yeah. a Stephen King name right there. Yes. But I like this part a lot. I mean, not just because Harry Dean, but actually because both of them are so good in this, in this little yeah. scene. You know, even though Keith Gordon is such a young actor, he's on par with yeah, Harry he's playing Dean with Harry scene. Dean pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't feel like there's a inequity happening here in their abilities. Yeah. And it also shows like the difference between the Arnie that we started out with and mm-hmm. the Arnie now. How much like, more you confident can imagine the Arnie, he is. Yeah, you can imagine that the Arnie we started out with would have totally broken down under this guy, you know? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. in this scene, no, he completely he like messes with him too yeah, and he gets like frustrated and annoyed with him you know it's mm-hmm. like he's talking to a cop <laughs> like it's like you know he, he has an answer for everything it's like it's like yeah. they told me they punched holes in the body it's like damned if i could see the fill and so like, yeah there's some right here and right here see where the paint doesn't match nope nope (laughs) you know it's like uh it was said that one of them defecated on your dashboard now that would have pissed me off you know it says shit wipes up i it's just the way he has an answer for everything is so good you know it's like but then also how callous he is he is absolutely when he when he says that um harry dean tells him that like moochie was cut in half they had to scrape his legs up with a shovel it's yeah. like, well, isn't and that what you say, do? Like, isn't that what you do with you do shit? shit? That's what yeah. you do with shit. Clean it up with a little shovel. Uh, yeah, he's so cold at that point. Yeah. It's some dark stuff. He's so cold to Dennis uh, before the, the Oh, in the hospital, parts. right? Where, in the with, hospital. With the, with the beer. It's like, do you hear about Moochie? Yeah. He's pouring him a beer. You hear about Moochie? <laughs> uh, Even before that, like when he's just starting to be 
a dick when he uh, like I hate what he does. Was, I guess they had plans to go to the movies or something, and he has to go do a job mm-hmm. for Darnell. Which wasn't it like shady shit he was doing for Darnell in the book? I think that's probably the case. Yeah, but because he's just talking seems... about like picking up auto parts, which I don't know right. if that's like a metaphor. <laughs> that's like auto parts in quotes, or what he's really picking up for him. Anyway, but like in that scene when he does that thing where he kind of like, sorry, I forgot to tell you, I was busy and like drugs and his mom did you have plans with dennis yeah you get that she's kind of maybe not the best mom <laughs> in some of the scenes but here what? she's right she's like yeah she's keep, absolutely right here uh-huh. it's like you can't keep treating you know you treat your friends like this you're not gonna have any friends afterwards absolutely like i said i don't think um I think Dennis does act a little bit maybe frustrated with him or like just is trying to turn him into something that he's not. But I don't think he ever doesn't really care for Arnie. And I think another thing with Dennis, I think getting injured really puts things in perspective for him. Yeah. Because he's like, he's never going to play football again. He doesn't have this thing that he's always done uh, to rely on anymore. But Arnie does. But Arnie does. Mm-hmm. Arnie has a thing now. Yeah. And so I find it, you know, interesting. I know we're skipping over around again, but that's fine. That Lee contacts Dennis after the injury, you know, like significantly after the in- injury. It's like when Dennis is sort of this asshole is sort of rubbed away, you know, to some extent by this point because by you know by the end of the movie it's almost like they're trading places i mean dennis doesn't become like a school dork or something like that but he's not he's not the big man on campus he was i don't think he seems he's not you know crude to women and things like that like he is at the beginning he just seems like a more substantive person by the end of the film yeah granted i think uh, there are a couple of things i think uh, contribute to that you know seeing arnie being such an asshole is probably part of it then i think the influence of lee then of course his injury mm-hmm. and then you know having to stay home and play scrabble with his sister over <laughs> is probably <laughs> yeah. had an effect you know so i i think that's that's something i i guess i hadn't really ever thought about but you know dennis does have yeah. quite an arc in this by the end he's a much more likable character i remember uh, I used to think it was like, what was the point of the whole like Dennis, you know, breaking his leg thing or whatever in the in the book? Isn't that what it was? Like he just broke his leg, and there was mm-hmm. like I remember long sections of the book of just him like with a broken leg. I don't know. And they actually changed the um, the tense of it because I think it starts out like third person. And then, like, mm-hmm. halfway through the book, it switches to Dennis's perspective or something. I thought it was mostly from Dennis. I thought it was mostly from Dennis's or, perspective. Or something like that. I mean, it's it's weird. I remember it having a switch like that, though, where it actually changed from... God, it's been so long. Where, uh, me too. Me too. I mean, it's it's been... I, was, I read that when I was probably in seventh grade, so and I've never read it again. <laughs> but I remember this big switch like that going from third person to first person or first person okay. to third person or something. Or, like from Arnie's perspective to someone else's or I, I can't remember. It was just like, but it was really unusual as I recall. But yeah, like you were saying that this is kind of about toxic masculinity too, is I really see that's, that was Dennis's, that's his arc. And that's his change is finally looking into a mirror. Yeah. I guess by Arnie mm-hmm. seeing like the way that 
that he's been acting and getting that finally from Arnie and like feeling what that feels like to yeah to get that kind of attitude. Uh huh. Yeah, that's absolutely what I never put that those words on it before. But that's absolutely like what's what's happened to him in this movie, and it's very it's actually important. I usually I used to like I said I used to think that that whole thing with Dennis wasn't really that important, but it absolutely is for him to for him to change the way that he needs to. Because I don't know I don't know that I really caught on to like how much I. I don't think I ever hated him as much as I did right. this last time. Yeah, before, I, you know, I I found myself realizing that he's kind of unlikable at the beginning. Yeah, that I had never really thought about that before. But yeah, so can we jump back to the when Buddy Repperton's killed? Yes, that sequence is incredible. So he's in he's in the uh, in the car with electroshock therapy guy. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to call him. I can't remember yep. his character's name. <laughs> It wasn't electroshock therapy. It was, yeah, the electroshock (laughs) experiment guy. You're right. Um, But, you know, and he looks up and he sees the headlights following, tailing behind him. I love how that whole thing, you know, where Christine backs up at exactly the same rate he does. And um, Uh some of the stunt driving in this is pretty incredible. Yeah. I love the part where he smashes, she smashes into his car and it it gets stuck on there somehow. Yeah. She backs, she backs away with it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And that happens again later in the garage at the very end. Uh Yeah. Then, you know, to have the other guys in the gas station, apparently uh, the guy that plays Ted originally had a death scene where you actually see him die. But his death scene apparently got cut out of Friday the 13th Part 2 and Christine, um, <laughs> which is interesting. So he lives. So he he dies in this one because he's in the explosion. I mean, I would be shocked if he survived that thing. But I mean, his his death scene isn't really important because he gets run over by Christine, I think. I just remember the big explosion from yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, the deleted scene exists, but it's not... It's not that important. I mean, you, you, you get the point. I mean, my goodness. Because Buddy runs away, <laughs> which is, he just starts running away. It's like, this guy is... Well, because the car on fire yeah. is coming at him. Yeah. <laughs> it looks really cool, but really scary, too. Yeah. That is one of those images. Like, I mean, it's staying on fire like that. I mean, only happens mm-hmm. in the movies, but it looks so cool. I mean, that is one Uh, of the coolest looking things is that just fireball driving down the street after him. And it just like the the scene where it's chasing him as he's running down the road is really interesting the way that it's shot. Uh I don't know. It's kind of drawn out a little bit. It's not Mm -hmm. just like a quick like run over him. Like it takes its time. Like there's this close up. Like she's playing with him in a way. Yeah. Close ups on the car and stuff. It's like and hell- the Carpenter score that's playing mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. scene is really cool too. Yeah, she's literally hell on wheels. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, but yeah, uh, she she is, isn't she? Then you know, frankly, I like the way that Darnell dies too. <laughs> I think that's really well, dude. They show well first they they show uh, like he, finally she runs him over and they show Buddy's body on, on fire. fire. Just, yeah, I always hate that. I hate fire deaths <laughs> that'd be a horrible way to go it, it would be i can't i can't imagine that oh jeez so but yeah the shot of her really driving herself back into her spot i always love that kind where of, she's just I she's just that. smoking like yeah. that it's so great and darnell so. just kind of like watches as she drives herself back into her little place in the garage and i love yeah his death is really cool yeah because it's also like not 
as intense, but still it's another one of those like visceral type deaths that you can feel in a way. It is, you know, because, you know, the seat pushing him up closer into the steering wheel and stuff and just yeah. losing your breath. And yeah, getting squished uh, is always like squished. horrible way to, way to die, too. <laughs> yeah. So the next notes that I have are essentially when Arnie and Dennis are driving out mm-hmm. during the night. Oh, that scene. Yeah, that is that scene is. I mean, by now he's he's gone full Roland LeBay. Yeah. And that's where you can really see the the change in them, especially in Dennis, because he starts crying when he's pleading with Arnie and saying that you know I'm scared for you for what's happened to you. He's definitely not that that guy from the beginning of the movie. No. Neither one of them are. No, and, and he says, I was, so we're taking the rust bucket? He says, watch what you call my car. She's real sensitive. He's totally serious yeah. when he says that, too. Yeah. You know? Who are the shitters, Arnie? All of them. All of them. Yeah. Love has a voracious this, appetite. Yeah, it this whole, eats everything. Yeah. That this whole, whole speech. Mm-hmm. I wrote down the whole thing. <laughs> oh, you did? Do it. it says, uh, he says, love has a voracious appetite. It eats everything. Friendship, family. It kills me how much it eats. But I'll tell you something else. Feed it right, and it can be a beautiful thing. And that's what we have. When someone believes in you, you can do any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out world, because nobody can stop you. Nobody. Ever. And then, like, the great line right after that, you're talking about Lee? Fuck no. You're talking about me and Christine. <laughs> talking about Chris- me and Christine, man. Yeah, I love that part. The way he delivers that whole, like, little speech is really good. He's got, um, that's when he's he's kind of wide-eyed and, you know, wild. And he looks really sickly, too, he in does. this scene, I noticed. Yeah, he's, he, like he's it's, very Like, Christine's looking. feeding off of him. Mm-hmm. And that's where, yeah, I think that's where the addiction thing really comes in, is in this is in this whole speech because it he looks it he looks like you know christine is just like i said feeding off of him and then like all of all of the stuff that he says again like some of it i guess is kind of true some of it's nice you know like when someone believes in you you know you feel like you can do anything that's totally true yeah but then also like love has a voracious appetite it eats everything friendship family like that's not that's a good not thing <laughs> r- right it's a twisted you know devilish i guess you know because it mixes the truth with the lies you know kind of mm-hmm. kind of definition that he's giving there yeah that's that's he just you know going faster and faster and faster and freaking uh dennis out yeah. uh as he's going this whole time oh man it's it's so good it's so good okay so what is it ultimately do you think what is it really about christine and arnie like what does it mean to him you mean like what what does it stand for what it what is it what does it symbolize yeah i honestly think probably more than anything it's sort of the addiction of you know something all-consuming you know whatever it is you know that thing that gives you the attention back but is really draining the life out of you I think that's, for me, that's probably most aptly what it's discussing. You know, just sort of the illusion of love without it being real. It's obsession. It's obsession Mm -hmm. that is not healthy, you know? it's uh, Because, I mean, even the fact that Christine, the fact that they're using the song Not Fade Away, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. You're going to give your love to me. I always thought that song was really disturbing. You know, oh, yeah. that that's kind of the what Christine is saying to Arnie. It's like, this is how it's going to be. And you don't have a choice in this matter. Uh, though that's not 
love though. Yeah. If there's if there's not a choice involved, it's not love. And he knows what Christine is by this point. Mm-hmm. He knew it in the the show me scene. Yep. I also kind of see it like maybe just on a really basic level. It's just um, it's like finally having that thing, uh-huh. feeling like you're you're nothing for a lot of your life, which is kind of how I get maybe Arnie was feeling before. And just finally having something, yeah, that you can pour yourself into and it changes you at first in, in good ways and in ways that maybe needed to happen, that you were waiting to happen. But it gets, but you get too obsessed. Yeah. And it, it becomes consuming. becomes all, all consuming. Yeah. And it's not sustainable because it makes you lose the people around you, the ones that really do actually care about you and not this thing that you think cares about you and it really doesn't now it's all hitting all the personal things that i'm thinking of now it's like oh, i've I'm had sorry. a christine in my life went by a different name I'm sorry no it's it's fine it's fine i'm sorry <laughs> no it's fine it's fine it's fine <laughs> went by a different name but yeah there you go i think we all have christines at various points in our lives though there's some way, yeah. something in some way that can become too consuming Having a car and uh, fixing it up and making it nice is not inherently bad, of course. It's uh, yeah. it's the obsession of it all, I think. And the fact that Christine is evil and some sort of weird uh, supernatural Kills creature people. thing. Yeah. Um, that is a problem. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you think... Okay, Roland was his name, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the owner, yeah. The play. Okay, so is it uh, there's some ghost of him that lives in Christine, and that's kind of what possesses Arnie? I'm, I'm not really for sure what's happening here. Because, you know, she comes comes off the assembly line already bad. Yeah. I've been trying to figure this out exactly what it is actually happening. I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily possession because in the book it literally is i mean it's literally possessed by the ghost or by the spirit of roland LeBay. but here i i think it's something a little bit more nuanced i think it's like christine brings that out of the people but it's already in them somewhere i think that's that's in all of us yeah there it brings out the darkness that is in the human heart that's a good way of putting it there you go yeah i i guess that's and i find that story more interesting personally than it's some external force or demon you know and i I love possession movies i mean don't get me wrong i i you know i'm a exorcist fan as much as the next (laughs) guy but it's just i think that when the evil comes from within I find that really fascinating. You know, it's something that's innate that is sort of brought out of a good person even. I find that really interesting. And Stephen King was good at that. I mean, he that's the shining. I mean, that's uh that's maybe to some extent Judd in, and and Lewis in Pet Cemetery. You know, why do they do what they're doing is because, you know, this something is drawing this out of them to do it even though they know it's going to be a bad thing ultimately no matter what kind of supernatural element was in king's stories they were always about humans oh yeah no matter what was influencing them in any way it was always you could have taken away the supernatural element and it would have probably would have been the same kind of story you know because he was that's what he was always talking about was human nature 
It just had, he just took a supernatural spin on it. And that also, you know, opens this movie up to the possibility of, you know, what if Arnie is driving the car? You know, I, I think that there, there's, I think there's an interesting viewing of this movie with Arnie driving the car. And he does at the end, Mm -hmm. you know, when we, when we see this ending sequence, the showdown at Darnell's, she shows up again, you know, Christine running into the cars. You can't see the driver at that point. It it pulls back. It looks like it's just this gaping demon maw Mm -hmm. with these sharp teeth on the front of the car. You know, I think that is, uh, it's it's like it was biting into the side (laughs) of that other car. And that's why that stuck together, you know? I just think that is fantastic. But then it shows him driving, that he's the one who's driving the car. And it's like, oh, man, he's like fully in here now. But he looks, again, he looks, he's got the black eyes and he looks Mm -hmm. like a ghoul. Like he's dead already, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and you know he's so pale, and and the light from the radio was on his face, and it's all green, kind of greenish. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's so great. And then you know he uh, crashes into the office where Lee's hiding, and and gets thrown through the windshield, and he gets a big chunk of the windshield in his chest, uh, and it kills him. And you know Christine just sort of sings that <laughs> she sings uh, the, the radio play the radio plays the i'll forever love you that's pretty much what's uh, happening. the rest of my days yeah i mean i think that and even is, yeah um, even as he's dying it's the so last good. thing he do does is kind of caresses her a little bit touches, touches her. her yeah yeah and, and it's just like he's gone i mean he is there's no acknowledgement of Lee. In fact, it, with the Lee, all he does is just sort of reach up and grab her. It's a jump scare of the movie. Ah, yeah. he jumps up at her. <laughs> you know, and then I, I love the way this, this I love whole the ending. ending plays out. I love the ending. It's, <laughs> it's so cheeky. It's it's very cheeky. You know, he's, even back to where he's driving the, the Caterpillar tractor over it and everything. And it's playing, keep it knocking, but you can't come in. Yeah. And, and just gashing the holes is trying to reform herself and all these things and then then they show her dropped and it's the The cube cube, you know that's been smashed and and then the radio comes by the guy the the radio starts playing and it's a guy walking by with a boombox i mean that's (laughs) great and the last line god God, i I hate hate rock rock and roll roll. (laughs) (laughs) it's a great moment then but then like the little zooming in (laughs) A little piece of metal that just sort of bends a little bit and bends back. And then, and then we're back to bad to the bone. kicks in again. And it's just, it's perfect. It does a perfect little ending. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I also love to, you know, I, I love to how the first credit at the end of the movie is says co-starring Christine Belfort, which I'm sure that was maybe just an accident. I'm but sure. It, I didn't even. But it could also be on purpose as another like cheeky little thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, you can tell that, I mean, there's sort of a real dry, wry sense of humor mm-hmm. that's runs through this movie. I mean, it's, it's Carpenter being just kind of like, we're going to give you a real, real dark comedy, you know, to some extent here too. Um, but ultimately, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of joking earlier, but this movie is kind of that love story. Oh, it totally is. It's yeah. a really, really dark love story between a boy and his car i love this one 
so much more than I used to. Like over the years, it has grown on me like exponentially. Mm-hmm. I would say, like just in terms of yeah. like Carpenter movies, and also in terms of like King adaptations. Yeah, it's definitely way way up there. Yeah, a lot of people have been coming back to this one that I've heard on podcasts and stuff like that, and saying, "Wow, Christine is really good." <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think it was pure yes, cinema. It is. I think it was pure cinema that was talking about, it. and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I haven't I haven't watched Christine in a long time, and I, I hadn't mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it in years. I, I rewatched it a little while ago." Yeah, it totally blew me away in a way that it really hadn't before. Like I always thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very cool movie. Yeah, but and and then this time watching it again, it I saw things that I had never seen before, and it grew on me yeah. even more. So yeah. I love it when that happens. When you can you can love a movie, but then like when you see it all those different ways, and it makes you appreciate it even more what it's doing. And so this one's definitely yeah, up I, there now for me. You know, and I've always appreciated Carpenter, but I think watching this again made me realize, you know, the guy was, is, <laughs> was, he's still with <laughs> us. He actually, he wrote the score for the Firestarter movie that just came that out. And that right. seems to be the thing that people's, everybody's praising about it, even though it's not. Like the only thing that they like. <laughs> yeah, it's not getting particularly uh, great reviews. Oh, man. Um, but the car the carpenter score is sure getting lots of praise though and you know i love that he's finding that joy in creating music again you know mm-hmm. yeah you know i'd love to see him make another movie but uh he just doesn't seem to want to go through that again because it's just the heartbreak of <laughs> putting everything into these movies and then having him tank which is a shame because you look at so much of his body of work and it's like wow we just did not appreciate this guy in his time. Or a lot of us didn't, I guess. I wasn't around when the thing came out. I'm sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, because uh, his his one really big success when he was at the time was Halloween. And after that, it was just kind of like, oh, I guess he escaped from New York is in there somewhere. And uh, I can't remember exactly where that falls, but I think that's before Christine and uh, the thing. And then it's just like he had so many um, really interesting movies he made. Totally. So are we still going to do our yeah. Carpenter? I guess. Episode? I guess. Yeah, we will. I guess Starman was a hit. Actually, now that I think of it, Starman was just one of those movies. We were going to do an episode of like our favorite, maybe kind of lesser talked about or favorite carpenter movies that aren't the obvious ones yeah and the thing is i would have picked this one so i'm gonna have to pick a different one i thought you had another one yeah i've got another one okay on the in in mind okay good (laughs) that i can that i can do but honestly it's watching this again made me feel like you know i think i just need to revisit those movies again and just realize how great they are because i already i know how i realize how great they are but just really getting that sense and seeing the craft and what he did as a a filmmaker incredible stuff all right right. got some recommendations for this episode we do we do do you want to go first or me first uh sure uh, mine is uh, tied to Pet Cemetery. Uh, this is a documentary that I want to recommend that's all about Pet Cemetery from 2015. It's called Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery. And this, I remember when this was announced. I remember when this was like in development. Like I totally, I was so excited when I first heard that someone was making a Pet Cemetery documentary and I was like all over it. I followed it. I tracked it. And I, when it was finally ready to go, I bought it and I was very pleasantly surprised with how it turned out. It's kind of short as I recall. I was going to rewatch it for this, but I didn't have time and I 
don't know where my copy is. To be honest, it's buried somewhere. Um, so I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. So it's been many years since I've seen it. But um, I do remember it being like one of the most thorough documentaries I've ever seen, mm-hmm. which is what I mm-hmm. really appreciated about it. Because the guys who made it, like they didn't just, you know, like go back to the locations, which were really cool to see. They did do that. Um, you know, they go to the, the old filming locations and kind of showing like a, how it looks now thing. And the, But they don't just interview the main people that you would expect you know to be interviewed like the the actors and mary lambert but they actually go and they interviewed all the little side characters they interviewed the arinko truck driver they interviewed the the lady who um at the car rental place <laughs> and one of the things that i really really appreciated was that they actually interviewed like main locals right i remember that yeah that was really cool too like they they actually interviewed the lady who created the pet cemetery that inspired King to write the book in the first place, which was like, that's just taking it way, way back, you know? And I also yeah, liked sure. that there, I do remember there being a lot of stuff about like what it was like, like the reason they interviewed the locals, because it was kind of a big deal that they actually shot it in Maine, you know, and uh, on location. And, and they talked about like what it was like to have the, the film crew there and everything. And plus there was also a lot of, um, extra features on the on the disc if you get the the disc of this documentary i don't know why it it could have totally been included because it was a really cool thing there was a little um thing with the fans just like um like at conventions and stuff just showing like the fandom that this movie has them talking about it like i guess like i said i don't remember specifically what it was but i just remember it it being a very cool thing just kind of showing the legacy of the movie which is Mm -hmm. always cool to see so uh, very highly yeah. recommend. I'm not sure where you can watch it now. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. But um, <laughs> I think it's on Tubi for free, actually. Okay. So check yeah. Tubi for Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery. Very highly recommend, especially if you're a Pet Cemetery fan. You'll, I think you'll see, you'll hear a story or you'll see something, I think, in this that you probably haven't heard before. It, it's very in-depth and very thorough, and it's a great documentary. About a great movie. Cool. Yeah, I have seen it. I and I, I uh, liked it quite a bit. So I actually have a pairing that I thought would be fun to go with each movie. Okay. So so for Pet Cemetery, I kept thinking of this documentary from 1978 directed by Errol Morris called Gates of Heaven, which uh, Roger Ebert was a huge champion of this movie. He loved this movie. It was like one of his top ten movies of all time. I don't know if it's that for me exactly, um, but it's a really unusual documentary about pet cemeteries, like real ones in California. It interviews some of the people whose pets are buried in these places. And so like the first half is about this one cemetery that is needing to be moved or something like that. And then the other one, the other half of the movie is about this like super nice cemetery somewhere in California. And, uh, and there's some, question as to whether it's real or not (laughs) uh it's very strange it's very strange (laughs) but famously connected to this movie is Werner Herzog uh the great filmmaker German filmmaker bet Errol Morris that he never finished this movie he says if you finish that movie I'll eat my shoe (laughs) well he finished the movie and there is a movie a short film that came out called Werner Herzog eats his shoe and he actually (laughs) boils his shoe and eats it uh, because uh, Errol Morris did in fact 
finish this film. It is <laughs> one of the most unusual documentaries I you will ever see. I feel like I've heard that story before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's sort of one of those classic stories. Yeah. But it's interesting because it is sort of this meditation on life and death and the ways we care for things after they're gone and remember them and memorialize them and ponderances about, you know, what's beyond and all these things. So it's a really, un- but it's all pets, you know. So it's, it's, a, so it's like an official cemetery that is specifically for pets yeah, that people can take yeah, their pets to, to be buried? Yeah. It's, and, cool. and, and, the, and the thing <laughs> is, and the thing is, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like grounds keeping and, yeah. Uh, you know, gated and lawns and headstones and, you know, very nice headstones and everything, you know, like you would have in a cemetery for people, you know. Hmm. Um, some people just have plaques. Some people have these um, really fancy grave markers and stuff. Um, so it's a very unusual film. That's cool. And it's hard to describe it, but it's worth checking out. It's on Criterion Channel, as I understand. And uh, if you have Criterion, and it's available in other places as well, though uh, I don't think it was streaming like with subscription anywhere else. It's like you had to rent it, but it's... Um, it's good. It's worth it's worth checking out if you're into documentaries and sort of weird documentaries. And the other one, the movie to go with Christine, the love story between a boy and his car, I thought I'd check out a movie that came out just last year about a woman who <laughs> yes. has a relationship with a car. Uh, I watched Titan this morning. <laughs> what do you think? And... Damn it, does that make a good double feature with Christine? <laughs> yeah, it's a wild movie. Right? It's something you must see to believe. <laughs> That's perfect. I love that. Thing, things I did not expect <laughs> at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it, takes, yeah. it takes the idea of loving your car to a new level. And so... <laughs> Uh, but but you know intercut with that in, but let's face it, most of the story is just this very human yeah. story about this you know relationship that is developed between this woman who is pretending to be the long lost son of this mm. uh fire chief it's really fascinating yeah. you know she she hides her gender she pretends to be a young man and it's just it's a really interesting movie and i it, it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Um, I wrote in my review, my letterbox review is uh, Crash. David Cronenberg's Crash was booed at Cannes so Titan could win the Palme d'Or. There you go. Um, <laughs> because, because it feels like one of those movies that it's just like, it's got some of that Cronenbergian stuff going on. The body horror and the idea of the crash and everything. Uh, and the cars and the sexual connection with cars and stuff. And there's and that's very much in Christine, too. Yeah. It's just not quite as explicit <laughs> as it is in, in either of those other movies. Uh, so, yeah, I, I actually hi, I did this double feature this morning of Christine and Titan. That's and so cool. Yeah. Gotta say, I, I, it works pretty well. <laughs> I was trying to get you to watch that for a while, but I'm glad you waited until you could double it with this that's, you know, that's perfect <laughs> i told you that uh, was a good yeah. one right it's it's a good one it's a good one unlike anything it, it was yeah i haven't seen anything quite like it so that's one that i really really liked when i first watched it but definitely gonna have to watch it again to really get it because 
Yeah, yeah I, I, I I'm would agree. sure a lot of it passed a, me by. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some things about it that I think. Um, but again, you know, because it takes that humanity and infuses it with this sort of strange, um, magical realist kind of element. You know, I, I don't want to give my, anything away. <laughs> is, is the thing because there was one thing that comes on pretty early on that I did not expect that just kind of made me go, whoa what <laughs> so but it's like a major element of the film so uh but i don't want to give it away yeah um, very cool i love that so a couple of uh pairing recommendations for you for these movies all right and now where can people find us online well you can find me on twitter sometimes at sometimes. brian d kuiper i know i'm the kind of the um, same way now <laughs> it's been it's been tough you can maybe to find twitter me on Twitter too and Michelle in Agen. And you can find the show at Movie Life Pod. Uh, we're going to be doing a couple of giveaways. We've got a uh, digital code for Pet Cemetery mm-hmm. uh, that we would be happy to pass along to somebody. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Hopefully I can find a couple more to, to send out there as well. Yeah, we haven't done one in a while. We need to bring that back. Yeah. All right. That was fun. Good conversation. Fun, fun movies. Yeah. Always good to talk about the king. Yeah, definitely. Hail to the king, baby. Yeah. All right, so Brian, what are we going to do next time? We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Under the outdoor with the steamboats, ancient goblins and wild lords. Come at the grand light making a sound. The smell of death is all around. And at night when the cold wind blows, no one cares, nobody knows. To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Molders and fangs The clicking of bones Spirits moaning Among the tombstones And at night When the moon is bright Someone cries Something ain't right I don't wanna be buried In a bed Don't wanna be